Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello. Hello. You're listening to week 40 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. My name is Craig Fields. And I am David Long. And it's another milestone episode for us as we've reached our 40th main episode. David, I'm glad you've made it back in one piece after your holiday. How was it? Thank you very much. Yes, it was wonderful. Much, much warmer than it is here. It's currently colder than a penguin's pecker outside. (laughs) It really is quite nippy, lovely and warm here in the studio. But yeah, Morocco was great. Um, you know, 23, 24 degrees, sunny, came back with a nice suntan, um, look, looked like Donald Trump, except without the ridiculous hair. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no hair at all. No. And why does Donald Trump have such a long tie? Has anyone ever noticed this? That man cannot tie a tie. His tie is always ridiculously long. Uh, I am going off on a bit of a tangent. You are a little bit, but it's true. It is true. It's a very long tie. Do you reckon he does it himself? But I, I, It's probably a clip-on. Actually, it probably is a clip-on tie. Can't you just get a shorter one? Well, they yeah, he's not very smart. His advisors haven't advised him on that yet. <laughs> they just want to make him look stupid. But no, I had a fantastic time, including a camel ride. I know you saw the photos of that on Facebook and Instagram. Me and my dad on the on the camel. I did, I did, and I was waiting for those pictures to come. It was interesting. It was because you go up to the camel and it's and 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 the, and they whisper in its ear, and then it sits down. What do they whisper? I don't know something in Arabic, and then it goes down, and then yeah. you sit on the camel, and then. You straight up you go and it's really <laughs> high. I mean, I used to do horse riding as a child. So I, I've been on horses before, but a camel is a very different experience and they've got this really long stride. Yeah. So you're always lobbing around. I've got to say, I wouldn't want to trek across the desert in a camel, but they are a very useful animal. How did your dad find it though? He was a true camelman. He took <laughs> to it like a duck to water. I've never seen a man um take to camel riding so well he loved it he he really enjoyed it yeah we had a, we had a cracking time out there oh well, i'm glad to hear that how was the uh, film studio that you went yeah, to yeah so i went to the atlas film studios the r- really amazing place uh, a number of films have been filmed there including gladiator prince of persia aladdin 2019 actually stood on one of the sets for that um, the Mummy Returns was filmed there. Other films like Body of Lies and Babel have been filmed out in the Moroccan desert. Mm. Um, often, if you if if you're wanting to film war torn countries like Syria and Iraq, it's very difficult to get into the desert. And the Moroccan desert is a very similar style. Um, so yeah, saw some brilliant artifacts as well, and some actual chariots and things from the um, from the Gladiator film. Um, and we had a tour around there. And and yeah, it was amazing. Um, th- I've never been on a f- on a, a film a film studio like it. Really, mm. um, I've been out to Universal Studios in Hollywood, but this was much closer. You could get much more personal, and it's just amazing how you can go from one set to another in the space of five meters, and they're completely different. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I said, the, uh, the the in the market scene where Aladdin was running through the market with his monkey and being chased. Yeah, that's where I was, and I saw that. Did you give it a go? Did you try and do the running? I style? did not. Running, running is something that I do not do. <laughs> um, we, we've been documenting my weight loss journey and it has got much worse. My diet has been appalling. It's like that of a manatee. Um, oh, what do they eat? They, McDonald's? No, KFC? they just graze. Oh, right, they okay. just constantly eat. 
you know, I'm most at home when I'm near to a buffet. <laughs> I love a buffet. It's the best thing about a wedding. I've got two weddings coming up this year. Yeah. I don't judge a wedding on the quality of the cer- the ceremony or the drinks or the speeches. I am going to the wedding merely for the buffet. It's not always a buffet though, is it? Are these ones going to be buffets? Well, quite, buffet. of, quite often you'll have a you'll have a wedding reception meal hmm. and then a buffet in the evening. True, full of cheese. Oh, yeah, there was a great. My cousin's, uh, my one of my cousin's wedding had a superb cheese board. <laughs> really was marvelous. <laughs> well, how have you been since being back as well? Um, yeah, so I did want to talk a little bit about this. Um, as as you know, Craig, I've opened up about my mental health on the show before. Um, we were due to record four or five days ago. Yeah. Um, and I've been in a bit of a t- tough place, a bit of a sticky spot. I'm pleased to say I'm feeling much better this evening. But we came to record, and if you remember, I just couldn't do it. I'd lost all confidence. Uh, I, I, just, I just couldn't get behind the mic. Um, and I just wanted to open up about that because people might think, you know, someone behind the mic, you know, we might come across as quite confident people. But I certainly have my struggles with mental health. And I think it's really important to open up and talk about it um, and encourage other people to do so. And I just want to say to anyone who's listening, who's suffering with anxiety or depression, or even if you're just lonely, if you need someone to talk to, please don't feel afraid to message me or Craig or the Is It Worth It Twitter page or Facebook or Instagram. Get in touch. We'd happily talk to you. Um, No one should suffer, but unfortunately people do, but no one should suffer alone. So... Um, really, really happy to be back behind the mic and looking forward to an action-packed episode this week. Yeah. Uh, so, David, what have we got coming up this week? Well, um, let me have a little look. I've lost where we are. The films we're looking at on today's shows are The Irishman, Le Mans 66 and The Good Liar. Followed by The Aeronauts, Midway and Knives Out. And we'll round off the show with Sorry We Missed You, Last Christmas and Frozen 2. However, let's start the rest of the show in our usual way with... The Box Office Rundown. Thank you, thank you very much for best that. Best impression of A bit deeper, Box Office Rundown. This is the Box Office Rundown, brought to you by Is It Worth It, the film review podcast. That's right, it's the Box Office Rundown for the 29th of November to the 1st of December 2019. David, kick us off at number 12 this time. Yes, we're kicking off at number 12 because it's a film we're actually reviewing on this week's show. And at 12, we have The Good Liar. Um, We're not going to say anything about that film because we are going to review it on this week's episode. Exactly. Uh, In number 10, then, we have CBB's Christmas show 2019, Hansel and Gretel. Uh, Neither of us have been to see this, um, but from what I've heard, it's a very, very good Classic CBB's retelling of a classic tale, Hansel and Gretel. And it's nice to see the younger generation at the cinema and uh, enjoying the cinema. Absolutely. In at number nine, we have Procedure. 
Is that how you say that? That is indeed. I'm going to go for it. This is a Polish movie movie about rapper Thomas Chader. Um, I know nothing about this film. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen it. It sounds terrible. Um, oh, you can't say no, that. No, without no, even... no, 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 no. No, that's not what I meant. It sounds terrible that I don't know anything about it oh. and that I haven't seen it. Not the film sounds terrible. It's in at number nine. I'm sure it's a brilliant film. Um, I very much doubt we're going to get a chance to see this, but it's always nice to see uh, foreign films in the box office. Polish films do do very well in the UK, big Polish community. Here, it's nice to see them going and supporting their local cinemas. Absolutely. Uh, in at number eight, we have Joker. It's still in the uh, box Rightly office. So. Uh, yeah, with David, uh, you listened to mm. last week's show with uh, Ranji, Toby, and I discussing Joker. You weren't too happy, were you? Yeah, I was a bit disappointed that you had anything negative to say about this film. It's broken box office records. It's taken over a billion. Uh, across the globe. Um, announcement, Craig, I don't know what you think of this, that a Joker 2 might be in the pipeline. I don't know whether that is just social media tosh, although it seems to have been confirmed. No, I think it's been confirmed, and I think Jared Leto is now out. He is no longer going to be playing Joker in any of the DC uh, EU films, as they call it, um, mm. Extended Universe, um, and it will be Joaquin Phoenix playing yeah. playing the Joker. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased, actually, because mm. I think the involvement of the Joker had to be done by Joaquin Phoenix. Like he is now potentially the Joker. And of, after all of the things that um, Todd Phillips had said about the Joker potentially not being the Joker that we mm. know from the comics, he could be the one that inspired him. This could be see Joaquin Phoenix actually taking up the mantle of our Joker yeah. that we know and love. Uh, well, I say love that we despise in as an as a as a non-hero kind of way yeah i mean your criticisms of of the film about its you know the substance of the story i I just thought it was a fantastic origin story i think it's done incredibly well at the box office my only concern is a second film this was supposed to be a standalone film it was made to be a standalone film it's done so well at the box office having made a billion dollars globally they've almost gone well it's made that much money we've got no choice so i am worried where they're going to go with it but you know, trust me, Joaquin Phoenix back as the Joker, as the Joker, not as Arthur Fleck and the origin story, but as the actual Joker, it could be sensational. And I'm really, really looking forward to it. So, um, you know, hopefully Joaquin picks up the Oscar um, in February. He deserves it. It's still the best performance I've seen so far this year. Yeah, I mean, undoubtedly one of the best performances this year. It was it was just a narrative that I wasn't mm. so keen on. And I, I still, I I believe that, a better story and performance from Phoenix came from a film that we saw last year. You were never really here. You were never really here, exactly. Which is currently out on Netflix, and you guys reviewed it on Cinema at Home, episode two. Yeah, we did. Uh, What's next, David? In at number seven, we have 21 Bridges. Uh, We haven't seen this film. This will be on next week's episode, uh, week 41. Uh, That comes in at number seven. Yeah, so this is from the directors that brought us Avengers Endgame, so the Russo brothers. Uh, So there are high expectations for this film. Um, From what I've seen so far, I'm looking forward to seeing it, basically. Mm. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, in at number six, then uh, we have the man's sixty-six that in America. So well, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, uh, this is in at number six, as I just said. Um, it's on this week's episode. So we won't delve too much into it. But I'm I'm looking forward to doing this review. Yeah, so am I. Really am. In at number five, we have Charlie's Angels. Again, um, we've got so many films to catch up on. I imagine this is going to be coming out on either week 41 or week 42. Uh, Definitely week 41. Definitely week 41. Thank you for confirming that, oh great leader. Um, (laughs) Neither of us have seen this yet. I haven't heard great things about it, but... 
Is it worth it? The Film Review Podcast is always impartial and we will go and see the film ourselves and we will let you know if it is worth it. Craig, in at number four. It's Blue Story, uh, one that has held many um, a story over the last few weeks at many cinema screens. Uh, some instances with people bringing machetes in, which <laughs> and then it transpired that it wasn't to do with uh, Blue Story at all. Total it, nonsense. It was, it was because somebody couldn't get into Frozen. Bizarre, bizarre I, stories. I've got to say, it was bad for cinema and it was bad for this film that people were saying that um, this this had something to do with Blue Story. It had nothing to do with Blue Story. You know, it's it's I'm it's nonsense. It was mm. total nonsense. It was bad for the film industry. It was bad for the story. It was just bad press. Um, I I didn't I just didn't read into it. Um, you know, one lunatic with a machete is no reflection on Blue Story, which I've heard very good things about, and I'm looking forward to reviewing uh, on on the show. Yeah, so that's going to be on week 41 as well. Uh, in at number three, we have Last Christmas, and that is being reviewed on this week's show, and it's another one that I am really, really excited about reviewing. Oh, we're going to delve into uh, this Me one. and Craig will be getting stuck into Last Christmas. Uh, above it, Craig, number two. It's Knives Out, uh, one that I've been really looking forward to, to reviewing on this show. Uh, David, you only saw it last night. I saw it yeah. quite a while ago at an unlimited screening, uh, and thoroughly, 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 uh, I'm not saying anymore, um, and that's it. <laughs> No worries. And at the top of the pile, no surprise, it is Frozen 2. Craig is going to be reviewing that on today's show and he's going to be going hand solo. I am indeed. Uh, so, David, do you want to take us from 10 to 1 then? Yes. In at number 10, we have CBB's Christmas show 2019, Hansel and Gretel. 9, Proceeder. 8, Joker. 7, 21 Bridges. 6, Le Mans 66. 5, Charlie's Angels. 4, Blue Story. 3, Last Christmas. 2, Knives Out. And at the top of the pile, at the tip of the iceberg. See what I did there? I did. Frozen 2. <laughs> So kicking off this week's episode, uh, the first movie is The Irishman. Now, this is a biographical crime thriller that follows Frank Sheeran, uh, who's played by Robert De Niro, as he recalls his past years working for the Buffalino crime family. Now, older, the World War II veteran once again reflects upon his most prolific hits and, in particular, considers his involvement with his good friend Jimmy Hoffa's disappearance in 1975. Let's take a listen to the first clip on this week's show. <laughs> Let me put McGee on the phone. Hello? Hey, my friend, how are you? Listen, I got that kid I was talking to you about here. I'm gonna put him on the phone and let you talk to him, okay? Right. Hello? Is that Frank? Yes. Hiya, Frank, this is Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, yeah, glad to meet you. Well, glad to meet you too, even if it's over the phone. I heard you paint houses. Yes, yes, sir, I, I do, I do. And I, uh, I also do my own carpentry. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I understand you're a brother of mine. Yes, sir, local 107, since 1947. Yeah, you know, uh, our friend speaks very highly of you. Well, thank you. He's not an easy man to please. Well, I do my best. So it's probably the best place to start with reviewing this movie is stating some of the obvious things. So first of all, directed by Martin Scorsese, it's Netflix 
produced uh, and it had a very small cinematic release. Now, we wanted to watch this in the cinema because this this film uh, review show is all about seeing the films in the cinema and whether or not they are worth seeing in the cinema. Now, the cinematic release has now ended Mm. um, and it's gone straight onto Netflix. Now, this was something that the cinema chains, the bigger ones, have actually boycotted. Yeah. Because of the um, fact that it's going to Netflix so early on. But obviously Netflix needed to have that cinematic release to be able to have it uh, Oscar nominated Mm. at any point for, i.e. Best Picture uh, and Actors, etc. What do you feel about that? Is there some part of you that doesn't like that or is happy about that? I mean, the the Academy has its rules that the film has to have a cinematic release. So if it goes straight to... It's the same with um, Marriage Story, which is another frontrunner in the Oscar race. Hmm. Um, That comes out this Friday, I believe. Um, Friday the 6th of December. Um, What do I think of it? Look, I would would have much preferred if The Irishman had have been... um, just a cinematic release. Um, I think it's better for f- the film industry. Um, as much as I love Netflix, there is this danger that the more people watch Netflix and the bigger films are on Netflix, the more it's going to detract and stop people from going to the cinema. But at the same time, if it wasn't for Netflix, this film wouldn't have happened. I think it had a $146 million budget. It's Martin Scorsese's biggest ever budget film. And that the funding came from Netflix. So without Netflix, the film would never have happened. And a lot of the ha- um, budget it just went on the vast scale and the era you're transported to and the de-aging technology, uh, getting Pesci out of retirement. I'm pretty sure that wouldn't have been cheap. Um, <laughs> Not at all. But yeah, look, the best place I think to see films is is on the big screen and is in the cinema. But... If this gets people talking, if this gets people who've not seen Scorsese films before into Martin Scorsese, then I'm all for it. Yes, I agree. I agree with that. Um, we went to an Everyman Cinema in Canary Wharf. We went. We went quite far further afield than normal mm. to catch this film deliberately, um, and. I feel that as it's a three hour and 30 minute film, it has to be seen in the cinema because you have no distractions there. And to be able to take in the vast plot Mm. of this film and everything that happens within it, you need to be concentrating. And I, I don't believe you can do this on one in one take at home. There is a, there's a quite a few things floating around on the internet. I've done if you've seen it. A few people, well, one person did it, and then it's actually spread around on Twitter. Has broken the film into either three or four parts. I'm not sure. And he actually lists the times of when to watch it to almost the three or four main parts of the film and breaks hmm. it down. I'll be honest. For for a lot of people, the, the film is long. Um, it's three hours thirty minutes, and that is something we will talk about on on the review because it is important. And that is hard to sit through at home because there are distractions. You go to the fridge, you you look at your phone, you pop to the toilet. It's different to the cinema. The cinema, you try not to go to the toilet because it annoys everyone. Whereas at home, you know you can stop a film. And it's it's not the kind of film that you want to stop, really. You need to keep that flow going because the pace is so slow. Mm. I feel like you need to stay absorbed in it. I've already seen a lot of people online saying they think it's a great film, but it's too long. That is one of the main criticisms you will see uh, about this film is is too long and I understand what you're saying but unfortunately most people 95% of people aren't going to be seeing this in the cinema they're going to be seeing it at home which is a real shame I think it genuinely is but if you do end up watching it and you do end up watching it on Netflix it, it, it's still good for the movie in some respects yeah. because to me 
I don't know about you yet, but this was a really excellent movie. Um, I think Scorsese's outdone himself here. I think the de-aging technology, which I think we're going to start on, I think we'll start on de-aging technology, was fantastic for the most part. Now, most of these de-aging technologies do distract in some regards. Uh, We saw it in Captain Marvel with Samuel Jackson's de-aging technology. Um, It didn't transpire very well with his physicality. Yeah. Uh, there's only one occasion within um, uh, this movie uh, that the de-aging technology and the physicality of the actor didn't work so well. And I think you know exactly what scene I'm talking about. I'm talking about a scene where Robert De Niro um, f- uh, throws a man outside of a, a door. Well, he and throws him through his shop door. It's throw- a shopkeeper. Yeah, he throws him through the door um, and be- <laughs> and proceeds to, to assault him. Yeah. Um, and... The physicality of De Niro during that scene is that of an old man whilst he is portraying a younger man. Yeah. Um, and it just came off very badly. It, almost yeah. laughable. Yeah. Th- this one particular scene, De Niro's daughter has been... We're not 100% sure what happens. We don't see it. Some sort of assault has taken a place from the shopkeeper on his daughter. And Bob De Niro's character, Frank Sheeran, is not happy about this. And he walks down to the shop. But he walks, like like you said, like an old man. He throws him out. And then these, these kicks that come in, you can see him struggling to lift his leg. It's almost like he needs a new hip. Yeah, there's no power behind it. I'm I'm surprised that Scorsese kept that in the film. For anyone who's seen it, that scene, you we, we spoke about it with my friends at work. They said that scene, you really got an idea of how old they are because these are 70-year-old men that are being de-aged. I mean, Frank Sheeran's supposed to be in his, his mid-30s at the start of the film. Hmm. And whilst I think he looks younger, I don't think he looks that young. Like I said, my concern was always that this film might have come a little bit too late. But I think with... I mean, for, for, for three guys who are in their mid-70s, I think they all did... Um, a fantastic job. Yeah. I think that scene came quite early on as well. And yeah. I think what they did, they learned from that. Yeah. And I don't think they went re-back, no. well, couldn't go re-back, uh, re- go back to reshoot that scene or they didn't really, I don't know why they could have done maybe. What? But what, what I found was that I've discovered is that they did try and do something with the physicality of the actors in terms of computer CGI technology and and try and blend their movements into more yeah. younger men, essentially. So, And I think it, by the end of the movie, you're less distracted about that, the, the physicalities and the de-aging technology because of the way it moves through those eras yeah. as well. It goes back and forth a little bit. Mm. It is a film where the story is told from different points of views from time it almost like a narration is going on from from when he's older to when he's younger and then when he's younger to to when he's like almost slightly older it's a strange sort yeah. of way. it's a story within a story exactly so he's retelling the story but alongside the retelling of the story we have again something that's in the past but they're running parallel until the two journeys meet in the middle exactly well um, and it's it's quite impressive I think one of the places to start with the Irishman is looking at the Rotten Tomatoes scores it gets a 96% uh, score from the critics 86% from the audience it gets a Metacritic score for 94% it's obviously based on the book I Heard You Paint Houses and I think the thing to say about the Irishman this was an epic epic production it's reported to have taken 106 days to film Uh, which would make it the longest shooting schedule in Martin Scorsese's career. The cast includes four Oscar winners, 
Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci and Anna Paquin, who has very little to say in this film, but what she does with her facial expressions is extraordinary. Um, The epic production is reported to have comprised of nine cameras, 309 scenes and 117 locations. And at three hours and 30 minutes, it's one of the longest films to be released in the last 20 years. Uh, And it's the longest film of Scorsese's career. I think the only other film that I think is longer is one of the Lord of the Rings that seemed to go on for an eternity. Um, (laughs) I can tell you definitely, uh, Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet was four hours long across two DVDs back in the day when you could get DVDs. What a film, though. Uh, What an amazing film, yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) One of the Lord of the Rings was one of them. Probably. Pearl Harbor was up there as being quite long. Titanic, Avatar. Avengers Endgame, Um, three hours, ten minutes. Yeah, but, but this was long, but... What do I think of this film? Well, firstly, we've spoken a bit about the de-aging technology. I think what they did was pretty sensational um, because at, at no point in the film, other than when they're supposed to, did I look at any of them and think these guys are in their 70s. Mm. I thought they looked like they were in their 40s, 50s. Um, they were supposed to be a bit younger. I mean, um, Bob De Niro's character was supposed to be in his mid-30s. But for me, my analogy here is not a food analogy, Craig. Oh. This film is like a sponge. So there's nothing particularly exciting about a sponge. Picture yourself in the sponge aisle in your local supermarket (laughs) and you've got a selection of sponges on offer and you've got five sponges for a pound or you've got one sponge for five pound. What one are you going for? Because this is the one sponge for five pound. This film just absorbs you. That's what it's done. It's not a particularly exciting film. That's not a criticism. I'm just saying it's not an exciting is not a word that I would describe, but engaging, gripping and absorbing. This is the kind of sponge that you drop it in a puddle, you turn around and then the puddle is gone. It is soaked up all the water. And that's how I felt with this film. Even though it has an extended running time of three hours, 30 minutes, it absorbed me. It gripped me. It engaged me. I thought it had a compelling. It was a real political, social drama um, lots of history in there with JFK and, and, and things like that. And it was just typical Scorsese. The quality of the script in this, Greg, I'm sure you'll agree, was just superb. It was very, very, very good indeed. Um, you know, that's not sort of beat around the bush about Jimmy Hoffa as well. Now, Jimmy Hoffa was, as it is said in in, in the movie, was bigger than Elvis at one point. Mm. Bigger, He's bigger than some of the biggest stars that we know, that the younger generation know. However, he has sort of forgotten about in time almost entirely and this is almost a way of re-educating people the younger audiences about Jimmy Hoffa and about his disappearance of which we still don't know who or what happened to Jimmy Hoffa and Martin Scorsese is almost giving us a uh, a look into the possibilities of what happened or a fictional story about what Mm. happened Uh, and it really did capture me a yeah. lot. It, it 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 gripped me, like you've said, but it also made me laugh at some points as yes. well. It's a, actually a very very funny film. It is indeed. Um, it and that's testament to a great script, as mm. you've said. It, it it is brilliant. Um, performances then. Should we delve a little bit more into yeah. those? I mean, let's start with best best lead. Oh, he, he'll be nominated if he is nominated in the lead category. Robert De Niro. I thought this was some of De Niro's best work for a long time. Whenever De Niro and and um, Scorsese team up. 
Um, I mean, think of Goodfellas. He was sensational in that. I just thought De Niro carried young De Niro, middle-aged De Niro, older De Niro, and then dinosaur De Niro. I thought, <laughs> I thought he just there was a real balance to his performance. And like you said, there was humour as well. There's one bit where right at the start of the film, his meat truck is opened and all the meat has disappeared. Mm. And I won't go into the language that's used, but. Bob De Niro obviously, you know, plays the the fool or where's the meat gone? We know he's stolen it. And it's just really funny and he's sharp and he's witty. You know, these guys are all in their mid-70s, but you, then you don't know that. They're sharp, they're witty, they're on the point. Um, one of my favourite scenes in the film is when Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci are speaking Italian and they're drinking the wine and eating the, the Italian bread. And I just thought that oozed quality. Um, starting with De Niro, I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, moving on to the next one then. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean Pacino. Um, he 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 brought a lot of comedy into this film with his portrayal of Jimmy Hoffa. Um, Jimmy Hoffa has been portrayed on the big screen before in a film called Hoffa, where Jack Nicholson actually played him. Um, I only found out that recently because I was looking. Through, I've just got Sky Movies, by the way. Oh, well done. I've just upgraded to Sky Movies, and I was looking through Jack Nicholson and the films that he's been in, and Hoffa was one of them. So that's um, a film that I'm going to watch. But P- Pacino was. He really brought the humour to this. Um, And the way he bounced off De Niro and the way he bounced off Pesci and the stubbornness of his character. um, I would be very, very surprised if Al Pacino is not nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Academy Awards. Um, I don't know what you thought of Pacino and and De Niro for that fact. Well, both of which, I, I both think the performances were sensational. And it's testament to their careers so mm. they've come you know a, a long way in their careers and they, they are masters in their in, craft, the, in yeah. their craft absolutely uh, and it's the same with joe pesci as well um you know both um, a brilliant supporting actor as well as uh al pacino and they both all three of the actors carry this film uh along in the entire way and without these guys in this film it wouldn't be the same at all really right. wouldn't I totally agree. And what I want to say about Joe Pesci's performance, we we have come to know and love Joe Pesci as the gangster. Think of him in Goodfellas, this unhinged, dangerous, on the edge of his seats, you know, I'm, you know, funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Am I a clown? I am Muzu? What the fuck is so funny about... He is unhinged and angry. You know, you, you see him stabbing people, you see him shooting people, you see him stamping people to death. In Casino, he puts someone's head in a vice. The guy is a madman. Whereas in this film, he has this dangerous presence but just over that all of that is this charismatic charismatic calm confident quality Mm. of you know who's in charge i know who's in charge and it's the same with harvey cattell who's um briefly in the film again older wiser uh i thought look i'm 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 struggling here to see how de niro can't i think de niro will be nominated for best actor i think pacino and pesci will be in best supporting um, I thought Harvey Cattell was brilliant, um, and Stephen Graham as well. English Stephen Graham. Stephen um, Graham, one someone that whenever he's in a film that we review, we always rave about him. Yeah. He is a sensational actor, yeah. and he's he's worked with Scorsese before. Um, and you know, it, good to see him back and mm. having a more prominent role within uh, this huge movie. Yeah, he's he's gone places. You know, he, he first came on our big screens uh, with This Is England. Yeah, uh, and that really um, perpetuated his career into to doing some amazing stuff um, and this is probably one of his finest performances mm. in terms of being a unhinged gangster yeah. 
uh, you know, just just sensational. Um, and there's that fantastic scene where he finally gets a meeting arranged yeah. with Jimmy Hoffa, yes. and Jimmy's there and he's waiting. And he's tapping his watch because he's late. And he says never in his life has he waited more than 10 minutes for someone or 15 minutes for a meeting. And Stephen Graham's character turns up late and in shorts. And there's this brilliant scene where it just, it's so tense. And you've got De Niro there as well. Um, Jesse Plemons is in it. Uh, Meth Damon, he makes a, 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 a you know a good performance. It's brief. It's brief. It's brief, but again, he's he's good in it. Yeah. Anna Paquin. Let's talk a bit about Anna Paquin. Yes. Yeah, so Anna Paquin's performance yeah. has been criticised uh, by many a critic in regards to her having not many um, scenes where she speaks in it. In fact, she basically speaks two words, three words mm. maximum within the entire film. And to be honest with you. Yes, it's not good that that role is subdued in some way, but at the same time, it is needed mm. because of the way that she does the acting is fantastic. Now, it, it, as you mentioned earlier on about her physicality, it is everything is in the eyes and in her emotion that she portrays with the physical movements within her face. And without Anna Paquin's performance in there, you don't get the same sense of the connection and emotional um, betrayal almost that you get with with uh, Frank, who is his her, her father in the film. Mm. There's this running throughout the entire film, this father and daughter, you know, love-hate relationship yeah. almost. And there's not many words that are said about it. It mm. is all in the looks. It's in the looks and it's a brilliant performance. Um and look, it's it's at the end of the day, the the film wasn't about Frank Sheeran's daughter, you know, and she has a brilliant relationship with Jimmy Hoffa as well, and we mm. see her when she's young and older. She doesn't say anything, but she's brilliant, you know. It's a it's a true performance of physicality and facial expressions. I thought what she brought to the table was great. I thought the production design of the film was great. I thought I was transported back in time. Um, I, I just thought it was a really, really great film. Yeah, again, with the costume design, though, it you know what era you're in yeah. every time you're watching it because of the costume designs and the mise-en-scene with, with everything that's been set within all the different sets. You know, you don't have one piece of item out of place that doesn't belong in that era. You you are absorbed into that era, and, and it's very, very well done. Um, I just want to go slightly back to Anna Paquin's performance, just ever so slightly. Sorry I think if I went it, off, off No, no, off no, no, it's fine. I just wanted to say that. It is, I just wanted to just... I don't want to overstate or understate her performance because it is a very pivotal role within maybe the last third of the film. It mm. it really does play an important part very important, yeah. in, in the emotional connection that she has with the characters that are the main characters within this movie. So don't overlook it and don't over-criticise what Scorsese has done because actually it is, it is needed the way it's performed. Um, it is a shame that there's not more female characters within this film, but it is testament to the type of film that it is. It is a gangster film. Yeah. It is a film that is unfortunately male dominated. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's the way it's gone with it, unfortunately. But it is a slightly different gangster film to the style we've seen from Scorsese before. It's not necessarily about the violence and the shoot them up. This is a look at morality and what it means to do this and, and the consequences of your actions. Um, and it's, and it, there's, a, there's a point in... If this was a typical Scorsese gangster film, it would have ended 
at about two hours, 40 minutes, but mm. it doesn't. It carries on. We we see more than we're used to seeing with gangster films. It's almost like, and here they are now. You know, it, it's it's yep. different. Um, and what I would say is it, it is long. And people have said to me, David, w- what's the Irishman like? And the first thing I say to them is, it's long. A little bit like this review. Um, <laughs> um, and they're like, oh... And I'm like, not in a bad way, but you have to be prepared for the fact that it is long. Um, and if you want to watch it in two or three sittings, you can. Um, but for me, uh, I, I'm just so delighted to see Robert De Niro, Al Pacino and Joe Pesci back on our screens. And for them to, I mean, three of my favourite actors of all time. Um, and I hope that this um, film is given its just rewards. I can see it being nominated for Adapted Screenplay, Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Product Design. Um, I don't think it will product design pro- 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 costume design set design production production design yeah so- something like that I'm, 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it production design that's what I mean <laughs> sorry I got uh, slightly off key there went off a bit a bit off track last year won by Black Panther the year before that won by um, the, the Shape of Water basically looking at the art direction uh, in the film I, look, I just think it's I just think it's brilliant I'm not going to describe it as a masterpiece because it didn't blow me away like a masterpiece would um, but I've watched it twice I watched it in the cinema I've watched it again at home um, and yeah I think it's a, an absorbing film yeah um to round this review off then I'm going to say that it is still available in some independent cinemas so if you really are a diehard movie cinema goer or a Martin Scorsese fan or De Niro Pacino Pesci any of those guys and you want to see them on the big screen possibly for the last time you never know let's Uh, let's touch with there not De Niro certainly Pesci yeah because he came out of retirement didn't he retirement for this I can't see him doing another film yeah so I would I would be enthusiastic at, in telling you to go and see this in the cinema. Mm. But if you if you don't get around to seeing it in the cinema, you can catch it on Netflix right now. Um, and I would, you know, hard press you into doing it. You know, go and do it. Go and watch it. Um, so let's ask questions then. Do we need to? Yeah, we do. David. Of course we do. That's the name of the I show. Know, David, it, The Irishman, is it worth it? Yes. Um, I'm certainly going to say, you know, stick with it. It is a long film. It is slow, but it is an abs- a slow, absorbing film with compelling performances. And it's some of Scorsese's best work, I think, since The Aviator. Craig, sorry, I, I keep ignoring you on today's show. I, I must apologise for my buffoonery. <laughs> Craig, The Irishman, is it worth it? I'm going to simply say Yes. Brilliant. And that was our review of The Irishman. The next review on week 40 is The Man 66. And this sees Academy Award winners Matt Damon and Christian Bell star in Ford versus Ferrari. Or if you're in the UK, it is The Man 66. Uh, it's based on the remarkable true story of the visionary American car designer Carol Shelby, who's played by Matt Damon, and the fearless British-born driver Ken Miles, who's played by Christian Bell. And together, they uh, battled corporate interference, the laws of physics, and their own personal demons to build a revolutionary, race car for Ford Motor Company and take on the dominating race cars of Enzo Ferrari at the 24 Hours of Le Mans in France in 1966. Let's take a listen to the second clip on this week's episode. 
nothing in there about my trunk and your lovely little portmanteau. You're holding the 62 edition of the SCCA. You can stick this bloody sticker where the sun Hey, hey, Bill. Sure. Hey, right. Bill, what seems to be the problem? Well, the problem is that Bill here is an arsehole. Is no, he doesn't mean that. No, yes, he does. No, yes, he, really he does. Yes, no, he He's really does think Bill. that He's Bill is an arsehole. I'm just doing Bill, my job Bill, here. Bill, 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 in my experience, there is, listen to me, something like this, there's always a middle ground. All right, now Ken's out of line. And I'm just right. doing my job. I understand you are. You know how he gets on a race day. You know that. All right, but you're not going to DQ us over at Trump. Ah! I love that clip. Brilliant. That's a brilliant clip from the film where Christian Bale's character, Ken Miles, has built this car and he's going to take it racing, but someone comes around with one of those rule books and it has to be able to fit a certain item in the trunk. He can't get the trunk closed. So what does Christian Bale's character, Ken Miles, do? He basically smashes the trunk uh, until it shuts. Um, This film has a lot going for it and humour is one of them. Christian Bale's character, uh, Ken Miles, is brilliantly portrayed and there's lots of laugh out loud moments in the film uh, and that is definitely one of them. Um, I'll start with Christian Bale. It's reported that Christian Bale had to lose 70 pounds to play this role uh, following his portrayal of Dick Cheney in Vice. If you remember, he got really quite rotund. Yes, he did, um, didn't he? To play Dick Cheney. So he had to lose a lot of weight and he does look more recognisable uh, as the Christian Bale that we know. Um the the first place to start with this is the Rotten Tomatoes scores. You know I love my Rotten Tomatoes. The critics give it a 92%. But how about this audience score, Craig? 98%. Director James Mangold is in charge of this production, uh, probably best known for Logan and Walk the Line. And I want to plug Walk the Line with Joaquin Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, I It's a film about Johnny Cash, and it is one of my favourite films of all time. I love Johnny Cash. The film was... Um, just just brilliant. Uh, Reese Witherspoon's also in it. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix should have, I think, picked up an Oscar for his portrayal of Johnny Cash, but um, we, yeah. <laughs> we, won't, we, won't, we won't go too much no. into that. But director James Logan, uh, James Mangold, sorry, Logan is obviously one of the films yep. he's done, um, is, is a very accomplished director. This had a $97 million budget. Uh, and why has it got 92% from the critics and 98% from the audience? Well, I'm going to dive straight in because I think this film is awesome. Now, before you delve any further in, I do want to expand a little bit on James Mangold's mm. part in this film because he he's also known for directing um, uh, Wolverine as well, which didn't go down very well with its audiences. Now, there are some parallels that run throughout this movie and with James Mangold's own experience with having studios or those above him interfering in in projects just like uh, Matt Damon's character did with um, the Ford company interfering mm. with with that. So the story uh, from The Man 66 has a very unique um you know, connection with James Mangold in terms of people interfering yeah. and playing havoc and 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 destroying certain elements of of a project that's ongoing. 
Um, and and I like that, that that it has that sort of meta crossover yeah. there. And James Mangold has used his own experience to try and and uh, uh, tell this story in in such a way. And he's such a meticulous director as mm-hmm. well in, in in everything that he does. I mean, Logan was sensational, as you already said, and Free Ten to Yoma and and Walk the Line as well. Three fantastic films, mm-hmm. and now bringing together all of his experience of that to bring out this movie. And I can feel all of those films resonating within this movie as well. So now you can move on and delve further, deeper into this movie. Yeah, like I said, it gets these these high scores because I, I just think it's a brilliant film. And we'll start with the acting. I think the acting in this is impeccable. We'll, we'll start with Christian Bale. I think he's exceptional. Um, I, I cannot express how much... I rate Christian Bale as an actor. Um, he has caused himself some serious damage, by the way. Oh, yes. Um, because if you look at his... Um, when he became a skeleton for that film that he was in, he really beefed up for um, Batman Begins and obviously um, subsequent Dark Knight films as well. Uh, put on a huge amount of weight for his portrayal of Dick Cheney and Vice. Lost a lot of weight for this. He's put himself through the mill and he's a really talented actor. And his portrayal of Ken Miles is unique. It's on point. It's funny. Um not to ignore um, Matt Damon. I mean, uh, the big news about this film was that I I, I expected Christian Bale to go for or be um, put forward for best lead, um, best actor in a leading role, and Matt Damon to go for best supporting. But both of them are going in the best actor character category. That was big news before I'd seen the film. Now I've seen the film, it's even bigger news because on, on a balance, I think both of their performances are brilliant. But for me... Um, Christian Bale uh, really steals the show. Visually, Craig, I thought this film was very, very impressive. What I liked about it is that you feel like a member of the crowd, but also you feel like part of the action. There's times where you are in that car with them. You almost feel like part of that machinery. And the most amazing thing about this film is the sound. Um, we saw this in IMAX. We saw it in a really late screening. We were both in a really good mood that day. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what we'd just seen, but we'd just seen a film and Craig was like, do you want to see Le Mans 66 in IMAX? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then we, I ran over to Tesco, got a load of treats, went in there. Um, and I'm not a petrol head. Uh, I'm certainly not a Jeremy Clarkson kind of guy. I don't drive. Um, so I didn't go into this film excited, but I came out excited. Um, I thought it was... I thought it was brilliant. Um, just a really nothing revolutionary uh, in terms of the structure of the film. A very typical kind of sports movie that takes you from A to B. There's a start, a middle, and an end, and it's very structured. And there's nothing revolutionary in terms of how they take you on the journey. But boy, do they take you on a journey! It's full of noise and petrol and smoke and fire and Christian Bale and Matt Damon and. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, same. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this movie. It's its visuals in IMAX are sensational. Its sound design in IMAX as well is is absolutely amazing. Um, it's it's a sensational movie, to be honest with you. As he said, it's not going to do anything special with the terms of its its structure. Mm. But you're you're thrown into the deep end with all of the noise that it makes. Um, this isn't going to be a film for everybody. Uh, you, you don't necessarily have to be somebody who's into vehicles and cars and racing mm. and all that sort of stuff to, to enjoy the movie. 
but it will benefit you if you if you like action-packed movies like this. It's a blockbuster movie without without a shadow of a doubt, but it also captures the emotional side of everything. Yeah, the friendship between Damon's character, the bromance, the, the bromance. Yeah, Damon's character and 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 Christian Bale's character. They they have. A, a, some brilliant scenes in yeah. this movie and, and one in particular a scene that they end up rolling on the floor together it, it's, it's brilliant yeah. and after they've rolled on the floor they ha- they enjoy a nice cold bottle of coke exactly they? good product placement um, yeah, very good product placement but like I said it is a bromance but you're absolutely spot on you don't have to be a petrol head or a car lover because the, the film is not only about the cars but it's about our two main characters um, I did just want to touch on, on, on the sound again I was in IMAX in that Dolby Atmos. It was just... So I'm going to just correct you on that. So um, IMAX have their own sound system. Dolby Atmos is a separate sound system. Uh, So with IMAX, it takes it, it pushes the sound system just that little bit further. It's, It's very unique. So it's not um, actually Dolby? No, no, no. Dolby Atmos would be uh, a different sound speaker setup, um, which other screens do have, um, yeah. but IMAX have their own, their okay. own sound. Okay, thank speaker you for the clarification. System. But what I would say is the sound was incredible. I can see it being nominated for sound mixing and sound editing at the Academy Awards. I think they're slam dunk nominations. So far, this is, in terms of sound, this is one of the best films I've seen. The cinematography, uh, like I said, is also very, very impressive. I, I... There are very few films that actually I would say there are almost no films that I've reviewed on this podcast that I haven't been able to say this could have been better. That could have been better. One of my favorite films, A Star is Born. There was 20, 25 minutes in that film where it went off. The Irishman we've just reviewed. There's a couple of scenes in there that don't quite work. I'm struggling to find much wrong with this film. Like I've, I've read other reviews and I've, I've, I've heard other people talk about this film and they do pick problems with it and and i can't really find any i was blown away by it. i, I really enjoyed this film so, so did i if i had to pick any problems with it it would be how it ends i feel like it did mm. go on a little bit too long at the ending it could have been wrapped up about a good 10 15 minutes earlier um otherwise otherwise it is a brilliant fantastic movie and and worthy of any awards that it's nominated mm. for um whether they win the awards is another question because it is going up against some some heavyweights this year definitely mm. i mean for you christian bale do you think he's looking at a best actor nom i, I think he's definitely going to be nominated i'm not sure about damon you know yeah i th- i <laughs> I can see, like we said, we can see Pesci and De Niro being nominated in the same category for the same film. Putting them both up, I can't see them both being nominated. Out of the two, for me, Christian Bale was the was the better performance. But and they, but they both are leading this movie. Yeah, it is two lead roles. Like I, I was surprised they were both going for that category. But having seen it, they are two lead roles. Mm. What I would say about this film is, I think this is a, I don't think it will win Best Picture, but I think this is a dark horse for a nomination. Um, when I saw the trailer, I didn't. But having seen this film, um, I was blown away by it. And also blown away by its ability to impact people and their driving. And I do <laughs> I do just want to yeah. touch upon the fact that Craig, after seeing this film, did think he was a sports driver. Yeah. He got me home. I hope there are no police listening to this because he would have been in trouble. That journey home was... I mean, I drove within the speed limit. I just I accelerated. I you did. No, no, I definitely did. Lies and slander. No, 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 I did. I, I just uh, accelerated at a much quicker rate to get but up But it was an exhilarating speed. cinematic experience. It and was an, an exhilarating, exhilarating journey home. home. Yeah. Um, Craig, do you have anything more to say about Le Mans 66? I do, and it's not my 
opinion now. This is an email that came from the Gaming Bear, our wonderful listener, uh, and he's written uh, an email, um, and within that email, he comments on Le Mans 66. So I'm just going to read this piece from the email, and it says, Le Mans 66 is an engaging piece of cinema. I myself didn't know much about the events that led up to Le Mans 66 or the race itself, but for those worried, they have... They have to be into cars or racing to enjoy the film. You don't. Not in my opinion. And despite its hefty runtime, it's never overstayed its welcome with the story progressing in engrossing fashion. I feel the film nailed the authenticity of racing of that era. Each driving scene had me absorbed, but also tense with concern that a potentially fatal accident may occur without a moment's notice. Without wanting to ramble, I felt this was an almost perfect blockbuster experience that delivered on all fronts i couldn't agree more with that yeah. email. the gaming bear as always nail meathead a fantastic way i think to end our review of le mans 66 yes i agree uh, otherwise we need to ask questions so <laughs> yeah yeah of course i was about to come on to that craig oh, sorry go on craig le mans 66 is it worth it? Yes, this is definitely worth seeing in the cinema uh, and, on, and on the biggest screen possible with the best surround mm. sound. So if that's super screen with its Dolby Atmos sound or it's uh, <laughs> IMAX with its own IMAX surround speaker mm. system, it's worth seeing on those screens. And if it's gone out of those because Frozen has taken over, um, you can still see them in some of the smaller screens, but it will be worth seeing nonetheless on a cinema screen. Absolutely. David, Le Mans 66, is it worth it for you yes uh, i couldn't agree more with the gaming bear um without wanting to ramble i felt this was an almost perfect blockbuster experience that delivered on all fronts the mon 66 go and see it and go and see it in the cinema it is 100 worth it The third review on week 40 is, in fact, The Good Liar. And it sees con man Roy Courtney setting his sights on his latest mark. And that is the recently widowed Betty McLeish. And she's worth millions. But this time, what should have been a simple swindle escalates into a cat and mouse game with the ultimate stakes. Uh, We've got a clip lined up. Uh, Let's take a listen. Is that why you think you do it? For the money? It's the game. It's the adrenaline rush. What if it is? And we're tickety-boo. How much do you think she's worth? Millions. I'm going to take it all. Seems like you've had quite a past, Roy. Enough to last several lifetimes. You know, it's very peculiar. Doing things you'd never imagine. Secrets between you, God, the devil, and the dead. You're becoming a very good liar. The Good Liar. Rated R. Keep that in. The Good Liar. Rated R. That that was a sensational clip. I mean, it wasn't a clip, really. It was, it was just a trailer. trailer but we yeah. both just got mad in the studio. <laughs> 
Anyway, let's kick this off uh, with stating who the director is. So this is directed by Bill Condon, and he is known for Dreamgirls, Chicago, and Mr. Holmes, where he worked with Ian McKellen uh, on that film before. And he's also worked on some of the Twilight movies, some of the later ones as well. Uh, So he is a a fairly decent director in terms of his previous work. Mm. And we've gone into this movie knowing very little about this movie. Now, we knew it was based on a novel by Nicholas Searle, um, and that was about it. Mm. And, well, we obviously we knew it starred Helen Mirren and it had Russell Tovey and, of course, the wonderful Ian McKellen in the film. What we didn't know, uh, it, ha- it also had somebody else in the film that I, I found quite interesting. And that was uh, the unlimited card ad man, Phil Dunster, who seems to be popping up in most of the films that we've seen this year <laughs> from... Um, the most hated man in Cineworld. Yes, what Cineworld was Kenneth and- Branagh's Shakespeare film that he did? Um all is true. All is true. That how can I forget that? Um, film. He was in there, and then he showed up again in 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 Judy, and now he's shown up again in The Good Liar. Yeah. It's it's surprising. He's 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 Phil is right? everywhere. He is literally everywhere. Uh, where would you like to kick off this review, David? Um, well, I think we've got to kick it off with the uh, the actors, really, Ian McKellen and Helen Mirren. Uh, I think the first thing to say about this film is it's incredibly well acted. Uh, it's the first time Helen Mirren, Helen, Helen Mirren and <laughs> Ian McKellen have worked together. Um, and I, I went into this film completely blind. Um, I, I, I hadn't read about it. I hadn't seen a trailer. Uh, I didn't really know what it was about. I could being called a good liar and seeing the poster, I could realize that it was going to be a con man trying to swindle someone out of money. Um, let's kick off with the, the critic scores. It gets a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes and an audience score of 87%. Uh, the first thing to say is, like I said, it is well acted. And I think the plot develops well within the first two thirds of the film. Um, but I feel as the plot twists unfold, the element of believability is lost with this film. Um, the pace is good and it's an engaging piece, but I did just feel a little bit let down. Like I said, the first two thirds of the film had me believing the story. The last third had me going, that's a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, so there's a twist in the movie. There's there's, a, there's multiple twists within mm. this movie, and one of which uh, I think a fair few of us would 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 say that we could see coming a mile mm. away. However, it's the twists within that twist that... I did not expect. And this is where it didn't, it stops suspending its belief with you, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, and I, I think one of those reasons is something to do with, with maybe perhaps the age of the characters and, and perhaps their, their accents, maybe. If that's yes. not going to give away too much. Yeah. But it is something that sort of led you down a path that, you never saw coming, which mm. you kind of want from a movie. You want them to lead you in one direction. It's all about misdirection, isn't it, this movie? And that was a strange one. Yeah. The, the problem is when you have a film like this, which is like a, a film about a con man, a swindler, it needs to engage you and it needs to be believable. And and this was that. But once the twist came, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, now we're getting down to it. But then the second twist comes and you go, oh, no. Really? That's a little bit too far-fetched. And once the element of believability is lost, which I feel it was with this film, um, it, it, it started to unravel. I have got a food analogy for it as well. Oh, okay, great. I feel like 
going into this film with these two superstar actors that it's like a meal you've been looking forward to all day you know when you're at work and there's a meal that you fancy yeah and you build it up and you build it up and say it's a lasagna this is going to be the best damn lasagna i have ever eaten and that's sort of how i felt with this film okay once it started with these two actors this plot this is going to be a really really good film and maybe i built it up a bit a bit too much because eventually you get home you have a lasagna and you go that's just a lasagna just a lasagna yeah nothing special just another lasagna. Just another lasagna on a on a on a cloudy Tuesday, um, and and that's a little bit how I felt with this. It was just a lasagna. Yeah, and I think maybe you're pushing that a bit too far with that analogy. I I still came out of the film thinking <laughs> actually that was that was pretty good. I I, I did enjoy the movie. Mm. I didn't see the the, the, the multiple twists coming um, within the twist. And and for that, I I was t- taken aback, and it didn't ruin the experience for me because it was a bit of. I was quite shocked by it, to be honest with you. Because but did I did really, you believe it? But did I believe it? Well, yes, I I it did. I did believe it to some extent. Um, it was far fetched, mm. but I still enjoyed it nonetheless. Now I'm hoping this hasn't spoiled anything for you because we haven't given the twists no, away. We haven't given any. Twists we haven't. Away. We've just told you that there are twists, and I think within a film like this, a good the good liar. It's in the title. There's going mm. to be twists. There's going to be lies being thrown about, um, and therefore you're going to expect twists within this movie. But we're just sort of expanding ever so slightly on those mm. on those without giving it away. So that's kind of okay. I tell you what else I did enjoy, Jim Carter. Yes, who you'll all know from Downton Abbey. Uh, as Vincent, he was. It was just funny seeing him in a. F- he has got a huge head. Um, <laughs> Stop going I, on about. I, his I did head. just want to say that again. He has got a massive head, but he was he was really good in this. One day we're going to meet um, Jim Carter, and he's going to say your head is huge and round and bald. Well, he was right. It is bald and round. I'm not sure it's huge. It's more like a pea. Uh, Russell Tovey was also in this. Um, I thought he was very, very good. He played um, Betty McLeish's son. That's... uh, Grandson. Grandson. I do apologise. Grandson. Um, And overall, yeah, for me, um, I know you probably think I've gone too far with my food. It was just a lasagna. Mm, I, I disagree with that. So it was an M&S lasagna for you, was it? Yeah, I mean, it was maybe a Waitrose lasagna for me. Is Waitrose better than M&S when it comes to food? Might be. I think M&S is top of the game. Is it? It will be, probably comes from the same factory, you know. Oh. It's, this was a freshly... For you, it was a freshly cooked lasagna. Yeah, it was from for a me. fresh Italian restaurant, mm. all made from scratch. No, look, the, the scores are solid. 63% from the critics. The audience like it at 87%. Um, like I said, for me, the first two thirds of the film is great. I just didn't believe the twist. And once I lost that element of believability, mm. for me, the overall uh, film just didn't pack the same weight. Um, the performances in the script are solid, but the plot ultimately lets it down. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, as we stated earlier in the box office rundown, it is in number 12. It was higher up uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, obviously, we've taken some time to get this review out. Um, I'll ask you the question, David, The Good Liar, is it worth it? I'm going to say no. Um, I, I think there is a better film of this genre out at the moment that we are reviewing later on the show. Mm-hmm. Um and at the moment, I would recommend seeing that over this. So yeah, for, I, 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 no, go on. Sorry. For me, The Good Liar is not worth seeing in the cinema. So for, for me, I'm going to say yes. I think this is a very different genre to the one that you're thinking um, in the sense that it's it, it, it has very different elements. It, ha, it has similar qualities, um, but it's not the same. And this is a very British movie. Um, and I think it's worth seeing in the cinema, especially for the performances. Um, and... 
Yeah, I, I I really did enjoy this movie more so than you clearly did. Um, and it, mainly because it probably suspended the belief a little bit more for yeah. me. I was absorbed enough to believe what was going on. So yeah, worth it for me. <laughs> so there you have it. For me, not worth it. For Craig, worth it. That was our review of The Good Liar. The next film on this week's episode is The Aeronauts, and the year is 1862. Pioneering meteorologist James Glacier, played by Eddie Redmayne, teams up with daredevil balloon pilot Amelia Raines, played by Felicity Jones. Uh, They team up to advance human knowledge of the weather and fly higher than anyone in history. Now, while their voyage to the very edge of existence helps the unlikely pair find their place in the world, they also face physical and emotional challenges in the thin air as the ascent becomes a fight for survival. I've got a little clip queued up. Let's have a listen. And so it begins. I'm not sure your instruments are much use to us now. We need to batten down. Please put on your wet weather clothing. There are no prizes for obstinacy. James, if you won't listen to me, listen to that. Wait, not one of my readings suggested a storm. Well, that's what it is. And we're inside a cumulus, which is precisely where we shouldn't be. Don't worry. She's not made of conductive material, so we won't attract lightning. And if we are struck... Gas will explode, so we won't live long enough for me to put that. So, kicking off this review, we'll state who the director is. Uh, Tom Harper is the director for this movie. Uh, he recently directed Wild Rose, a film that both of us. Mm really 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 loved it was one of the best films of last year certainly um he's also directed three episodes of peaky blinders and a couple of other episodes of this is england 86 so he was he's been attached to a lot of really great projects um and this is the next one the next feature film on his list that's just come out and i i seen some trailers for this movie Mm. and i wasn't that impressed by the trailers i thought this was going to be a bit of a gimmicky kind of movie it was going to be another sort of lovey-dovey kind of you know they're gonna fall in love with each other whilst on a hot air balloon yeah exactly um you know we'd seen these two wonderful actors being uh you know on the big screen before together as a couple Mm. and i thought that was going to be happening again however i was taken aback by the story of this movie and and the way it was told as well in terms of it being flashbacks and 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 recounting uh how these two found each other and it's a very intriguing story actually and one that is very well told uh on on the big screen one thing that i really enjoyed seeing actually was was my university so Greenwich University was used extensively in this movie uh for a lot of the scenes and one scene in particular is uh the 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 guys are on the um Greenwich Observatory overlooking London Mm. uh a place that I've visited multiple times over when I was at university I'd I'd go and sit up the top at Greenwich Park by the observatory and overlook London if I was there early for a lecture or something Mm. and it was just really great seeing the use of that um, as as a main part of the film. Uh, yeah, really, really good. The next part of the film, however, is taking part mostly in a hot air balloon. And the way it's filmed on in that hot air balloon is 
nothing short of sensational, actually. The way they managed to capture something in such a confined space mm. uh, was was spectacularly done. Um, and, and lots of things unravel within those scenes, uh, which we will expand on in a bit. Um, but just, just sensational, this movie, actually. Mm. And I was very much so taken aback by that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Craig. I went in with very low expectations. I often warn people about long trailers or um, trailers that show you too much of the film. Well, this this almost did the complete opposite. I thought the trailer for this film was was really poor, and I went in not expecting much. I didn't really know the background of the story, and um, James Glacier is obviously a, a real character, historical character. Amelia Renz, played by Felicity Jones, is a fictional character. Um, used as a plot device to in, to enhance the story, but immediately my my reservations about this film were blown away. I loved the pace of this film and how it bursts into life with, you know, a very very early on with this over the top obscurity, this yep. pantomime production of this performance that um, Amelia Wren's Felicity Jones character puts on. For her, this is about the balloon trip and going up in the balloon and we see her doing cartwheels and she arrives on a horse and cart and there's, um, there's a dog that goes up in, in the balloon and then is thrown out of the balloon and the dog has a parachute and it's all over the top and ridiculous. And at the same time, you have good old Eddie Redmayne there with all of his instruments. And the f- hilarious thing about that clip is that you've got the, the fictional, um, ballooner. I don't know if that's a word um, <laughs> in Amelia Renz. And she's the one that's got her head screwed on. Have you got your rainproof coat? You know, there's a storm. We need to batten down the hatches. We need to look after ourselves. And all um, James Glacier, Eddie Redmayne's character, oh, my instruments. I didn't, they didn't predict this. <laughs> and it's really weird because you would expect him to be saying, yeah, I'm the scientist. We do need to, but he's almost blinded by the sky, by the stars, by his mission to go higher than anyone's gone before and what James Glacier achieved was he realized that the atmosphere has different layers and this was something that was unknown at the time that as you go higher the air gets thinner and obviously colder so as they were ascending they were he was taking readings that had never been taken before and like you said the first thing I will say is I didn't know if you knew this I felt very unwell in the early part of this film because hot air balloons is actually my only phobia and fear is it really? It is, yeah. I and I'll tell that. you why. Do you ever remember Mr. Bean? Of course. Um, do you remember that scene where Mr. Bean accidentally steals a baby or finds a lost baby? No. He ends up buying lots of balloons and he ties them to this baby's pram. Yeah. And there's so many hot air balloons, helium balloons, sorry, that the pram ends up floating off. And as a child, that terrified me. And that led to a phobia of hot air balloons. Also, when I was about seven or eight, a hot air balloon nearly hit our house. And actually, <laughs> What? Yes, actually crash landed. in. You know the field opposite my house? Yeah, yeah. Crash landed into there. And I told my parents that a hot air balloon had just landed and they laughed at me and then they realised I was actually telling the truth. <laughs> but hot air balloons have always been a phobia of mine. And those early scenes when they're, when they're high, high enough to realise, have a perspective of height so you can see the small people below them and the buildings. Mm. That really made me feel unwell, but I felt like I was in that balloon with them. But I don't have a fear of heights. I love flying. I love planes. It's just the thought of being in a basket carried by a sack of air terrifies me. Um, And I know a few other people that had that experience as well, but you feel like you're in that balloon with them, that confined space and the chemistry. We know know that Felicity Jones and Eddie Redmayne are great together. Um, They were brilliant. In the theory of everything, theory of uh, everything, um, yeah. 
And what surprised me as well is this was one balloon journey. So I was expecting it to be multiple balloon journeys and like, here's a failed trip, here's a failed trip, and here's a successful one. No, it's one balloon journey at what feels like real time um, with selected flashbacks, which I feel adds substance and meaning to the action unfolding. Uh, I know I've, I've other people uh, I've spoken to said they didn't like the flashbacks and they felt they were unnecessary. Yeah, I heard that as well. But... I mean, otherwise you are, you, of course it needed that. You needed a bit of background and you also needed to get out of that balloon. Um, we didn't see it in IMAX, but I imagine that it would have been very visually impressive. Yeah. We saw it on a, on a regular size cinema screen. And I, I was really impressed by this film. It gets a 78% score on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics. For some reason, there's no audience score available. Um, that might be because it is an Amazon yeah. movie, and I know in America it should now be playing on Amazon Prime. Um, it is still in the cinema in the UK, so you still can catch it there. Uh, I'm not sure why the audience score hasn't been uh, percolated. Is that the right word? Yeah. Probably not. Um, but either way, it's not. Um, it's not been brought together just mm. yet. Uh, I expect the audience scores to be relatively high. Um, I know Callum, who works on the podcast, it's one of his favourite films of the year. Yeah. Um, he put that forward on my Instagram page as as, as one of his favourite films. Um, and I think it, it's up there as one of mine. It's not in the top 10, but it's no. certainly up there as being one of the most captivating movies of the it year. It really surprised me. Yeah, same. Me too. Really did. Uh, Performances-wise, Eddie Redmayne, sensational as per. Felicity Jones, sensational as well. We know these two work well together, as you've already stated. Um, you know, it, it is... It isn't groundbreaking, but what it is, what it does do, it does educate you on how naive the scientists were of that era yeah. uh, and how James Glacier is trying to push the boundaries of understanding the weather and how that can save lives. Yeah. Um, it's a shame that this they brought this fictional character in mm. just to sort of liven up. Yeah, I mean, the story. If, if, you, if you look at, um, you, I've read a few articles from sort of heavy scientists saying this isn't what happened. And then you read what happened. And although it's groundbreaking, it might not have might not have been as exciting as this. So Amelia Renz, this this fictional character, does bring something to the table. Arguably, it's some of... I mean, I know Felicity Jones was also in On the Basis of Sex, but even though that was a fantastic performance, there's something about her performance in this. And she really bounces off Eddie Redmayne. And like I said, I went into this film expecting very, very little. And I came out and actively, you know, I, I messaged people saying, you know, go and see this, go and see that. And this is one of the films that I have told people, yeah, go and see it. Well then, David, <laughs> the aeronauts, <laughs> is it worth it? Yes. Look, I thought this was, uh, I was ballooned away by it. I was blown away. Um, <laughs> You're aeronautic now. Uh, I am an, an, an aeronaut. No, look, I thought the performances were good. The The story was good. And it re the pace of this film is engaging. It's exciting. Uh, visually very good. Um, yeah, one of the most surprising films of the year so far. I, I was really impressed by it. For me, this film is definitely worth seeing on the big screen. It's worth, if you can find it in IMAX, still going to see it in that. If not, doesn't matter. See it on one of the bigger screens. It will be coming to Amazon Prime fairly soon. Um, so if you want to watch it at home, you can. It would make quite a nice family viewing, I think, yes, actually. absolutely. Um, and I think it'd be nice to watch it maybe around Christmas time mm -hmm. if it is on uh, Amazon by then. Uh, otherwise, uh, try and catch it in the cinema is a nice Christmassy thing to go and see. Um, it, it, it does push boundaries in terms of what you're viewing and in, in terms of science and how yeah. science progressed 
uh, and during those times. And, and that makes for a very interesting family watch, actually. Um, so for me, yeah, definitely worth seeing. So that was our review of The Aeronauts. So the next film on this week's episode is Midway. Midway centres on the Battle of Midway, a clash between the American fleet and the Imperial Japanese Navy, which marked a pivotal turning point in the Pacific theatre during World War II. Now, the film is based on the real-life events of this heroic feat, telling the story of the leaders and the soldiers who used their instincts, fortitude and bravery to overcome the odds. Now, let's segue straight into a clip from this movie. So that was a clip uh, from Midway. And I'm going to kick straight off um, with this and say I saw the trailer for this film and I thought the trailer looked really bad. I thought the the special effects, pretty much all CGI, looked really, really poor. And I've got to say I'm going to stick with that. Um, I thought the first third of this film was actually unwatchable. Um, I thought it was just dire. Um you know, I thought the had this horrific digitized CGI. Uh, it felt more like a video game. I thought it was very cliche. Cliche? <laughs> cliche? I, I mean, cliche. Uh, it had this clunky script. It was poorly delivered. Tonally, it was poor. Very choppy and broken. And I've got to be honest, uh, you know, 30, 40 minutes into this film, I thought I'm going to give this the trumpet. Um, it's not actually trumpet worthy because it does improve. Uh, and I can't help but think about comparing this to to Pearl Harbor. Um, from the critics and from the audience, it gets better Rotten Tomato scores. So it gets a 42% score from the critics. But the audience score for this film, Craig, is really, really high. It gets a 92% audience score, which I'm really, really surprised at because I just wasn't very impressed with this film at all. Like I said, it does improve and it improves because unlike Pearl Harbor, it tries to be more of a historical film um, and it, it doesn't get sort of lost in this obscure ridiculous love story which unfortunately is what happens in Pearl Harbor it's the film shouldn't be called Pearl Harbor no I mean Pearl Harbor does have some of that awful cutting that uh, the director there loves to do doesn't he yeah terrible dialogue very very again cliche 
Midway saves itself because it tries to give us a bit more history, a bit more facts. Um, it obviously focuses on the Battle of Midway, which was an incredibly important battle uh, in World War Two uh, for the Americans. And like I said, the first third of this film for me was terrible, but but it does improve. But it doesn't improve to the extent where it gets a 92% score from me. I'm much more in, in, in line with the critics. I give this more of a, a 42%. I really didn't enjoy the CGI. I thought the mm. special effects were... Were, were poor um, and I actually re-watched Pearl Harbor recently um, and Pearl Harbor is the only film that I can think of that I would give like a, a 10-20% critically because it is pretty woeful but actually I'd give it like an 80-90% because it's like a it's almost like a um, a secret love of mine I, I actually quite enjoy that film um, and what Pearl Harbor does do is that 40 minute or so attack on Pearl Harbor considering the film was made in 2001 take away the cliche and you know really over the top you know American America is great and blah 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 patriotism yeah um, the special effects for 2001 in that were sensational and I wasn't blown away by the special effects in this. I found them really disappointing. And the sound, I thought the sound was really, really poor as well. I mean, well. you got that in the clip, didn't you? It, does, it is that most of the film. That, and, and then it, there's no dialogue countering it that's engaging enough for mm. you to want to engage with it some more. It's brought to you uh, from director Roland Emmerich, who has directed a many, uh, many a film, um, a lot of them quite bad, to be honest with you. I mean, we can take uh we'll start from the top obviously midway day after tomorrow independence day resurgence the original independence day uh 2012 10,000 bc um godzilla uh which wasn't that bad it, you know I it's mean, a bit it, of a fan favorite that one but still not amazing uh the original stargate movie as well uh, and he is penned to uh be uh, doing another um Another Stargate movie as well, you know, White House, White White House Down as well. So he's known for doing these movies where there are a lot of blowing stuff up and uh, yeah, cliched kind of things. Um, but this one has to be one of his worst in times of CGI, mm. um, but has a lot of historical stuff going for it. But it just doesn't quite hit home enough. I mean, you're you're more of an expert than me when it comes to the technical side of this. How bad was that CGI? Because it really was, particularly the the bombing of Pearl Harbor. What you get in the film Pearl Harbor is you go, wow, you know, it looks real. And f forget the rest of the film. The actual bombing scene is pretty sensational, considering that film is from two thousand and one. Whereas in this one, it just doesn't feel. It feels more like a video game. Yeah. It it. It kicks off with Pearl Harbor, doesn't yeah. it? And it is very much so a much weaker look at Pearl Harbor. It doesn't really push uh, the emotional side of how that battle really brought the Americans into the war. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, Pearl Harbor spent a lot of time building up that that part of the movie. You know, yeah. it was all about that. This was obviously about Midway, yeah. but you you didn't get that real sense of of the urgency of now that that bringing them into the war within this movie, um, and then the CGI at the very start was probably the worst part of it. It did improve yeah, as you said throughout improve. the film, but and so did the story to some extent. But it just didn't work. I mean, it's got a great cast. Ed, Ed um, Screen, uh, Patrick Wilson, Woody Harlson, Luke Evans, Mandy Moore, Aaron Etchart, uh, Nick Jonas is in there as well. I mean, it does have a, a really great cast in there. 
but still, something wasn't right. They're not given a great script, are they? The script is is pretty poor. Yeah. Um, like I said, the the film saves itself because if it had carried on in the in the in the way that it was going, it really would have been trumpet worthy. But it does improve. We do get history into it. Um, I've spoken to a, a friend at work who's who's very knowledgeable about Midway, uh, and from what he's told me, they do seem to stick quite closely to some of the historical facts, whereas mm. Pearl Harbor goes way off and, 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 and sort of blows certain things out of proportion um, and gets other things wrong. But for me, it's a, it's a difficult film to review because I just, di- I just really didn't enjoy it. And I just, I just totally, it was poor. It was choppy. The script wasn't great. And, and, I, and I just didn't like it. And the bizarre thing was, is that the audience seemed to like it. It's got a great Rotten Tomato score. When I was leaving, the, but most, I told you when I was leaving, yeah. I was thinking this CG, was terrible a couple behind me go oh wow that was visually visually that was the the best film I've seen that's bound to win Oscars for special effects this will not win Oscars for special effects no the special effects were very 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 poor the sound wasn't great either I didn't feel like you know when you're Saving Private Ryan or Pearl Harbor or other war films where you feel like you're in the middle of that and you can hear the bullets coming over you and the explosions behind you this just had a very muffled almost gaming-like experience. And I I just really didn't enjoy this film. But maybe I'm wrong because it gets a 92% score from the audience and that is very, very high. Yeah. Uh, I'll ask you the question then, David. Midway, is it worth it? Uh, No, I don't think it's worth seeing in the big screen because... You know, this kind of thing, if you're going to see it in the big screen, you want spectacular special effects, you want spectacular sound, you don't get either. Uh, The rest of the film is a bit of a mess. And for me, I really didn't enjoy it at all. Mm, I agree with that completely. Uh, This is not a film that I would recommend going to see on the big screen. It might be worth a watch when it comes out onto streaming services or or maybe on Blu-ray. I I mean, is it worth spending £15 on a Blu-ray? Probably not. No, you know what? Maybe not. You know, maybe we'll leave it to to Ranjit to summarise when it comes out on streaming yeah. services and see whether he recommends to to watch it on at home um, when he watches it at home. Um, but yeah, no, no, definitely not worth it. And that was our review of Midway. We will now be reviewing Knives Out. So, what is this film about? Well, when renowned crime novelist Harlan Thromby, played by Christopher Plummer, is found dead at his estate just after his 85th birthday, the inquisitive and debonair detective Benoit Blanc, played by Daniel Craig, is mysteriously enlisted to investigate. From Harlan's dysfunctional family to his devoted staff, Blanc sifts through a web of red herrings and self-serving lies to uncover the truth behind Harlan's untimely death. Before we dive into our review, let's take a listen to a clip. Thank you all for getting together like this. It isn't legally necessary, but I thought because you're all in town and some of you are leaving soon. Excuse me. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to gently request that you all stay in town until the investigation is completed. Well, he's gently requesting, but I'm going to have to make that in order. No one move until we figure this all out. What? Can we ask why? Has something changed? No. No, it hasn't changed, or no, we can't ask. Mr. Stevens, uh, you may continue. So that was a clip from Knives Out. Uh, And as you can hear, you can hear Daniel Craig in that with his wonderful uh, (laughs) Kentucky-style accent, uh, which is 
you know, Daniel Craig is an Englishman. We all know him from Bond. Uh, and he's actually playing a detective here who, as David said in the uh, descri- uh, synopsis there, that he's very debonair um, and he's uh, very inquisitive. Mm. Um I think Daniel Craig in this movie has played this role sensationally. Um, but before we delve into that performance, uh, let's just say who directed and written this movie. And it's uh, Rian Johnson. I think his name's pronounced Rian. We are discussing this earlier. I think it might actually be an obscure way of uh, uh, writing R- uh, Ryan. We're going to go for Rian. And we apologise to Mr. Johnson for, for the incapability of getting his name right. Uh, we should have probably just looked it up at some point. But it doesn't really matter because we all know who he is. He was the director of Star Wars, The Last Jedi, uh, which was uh, the second film in the latest trilogy of Star Wars films. He's also uh, directed many an episode of Breaking Bad. He directed the fantastic Looper um, and and uh, Brothers Bloom and, and a few other films as well. Um, but he is a, a, a well-established director. Um, and this is one of the first films that he's sort of penned and directed together. Um, and I... I'm going to go straight out with saying that I loved this movie. Why did I love this movie? It's because it's it's a, a whodunit movie for the 21st century. And it, it uses uh, the typical um, style of uh, these sort of whodunit mysteries from, from the olden times and, and just inco- updates it for a modern kind of uh, audience. Mm. But in a way that still harks back to the Sherlock Holmes sort of era and and the Agatha Christie kind of era, and mainly because of Daniel Craig's character. So, what do we actually have here as a story? Well, we we've got Harlan Thrombey, who is actually a crime novelist writer, mm. and he's almost thrusted himself into the limelight by becoming one of his novels almost. Yes. And I I love the way um Johnson has has done this and incorporated this this wonderful story element into into mm. it. It's it's got a great cast. So we'll start off with Daniel Craig's performance and David, how how did you find his performance? I've got to be honest Craig, so I went into this film with really really low expectations bizarrely enough. I'd actually seen three trailers for this. Uh-huh. Okay. A really long trailer, a a second trailer, so trailer one and trailer two, and then like a really short trailer where it literally just had music blaring and all the names popping up. And none of the trailers made me think, wow, I want to go and see this film. Um, A little bit like the Aeronauts, I went in not expecting much, but immediately um, I was... I was really, really impressed by it. But like you said, it's got a fantastic cast. And what the film does brilliantly is obviously we have the demise of of, of said protagonist. And then we have all of the characters give an explanation of where they were on that evening, what they were doing. And what you soon realise is that every single one of them has a motive. And that opens a really broad spectrum of possibilities as to how this this death occurred daniel craig is is brilliant chris evans brings some great humor to it michael shannon gives a really good performance and tony collette plays this really uh, she plays joni thromby and she plays this really sassy um sassy character you heard in the clip and i just found her performance really really compelling and Another thing that was really good about this is Christopher Plummer, obviously we know from the trailers that he's died. That's that's not a giveaway. The whole film is around his death and who killed him or how did he die. But actually he's in this film a lot more than I was expecting. Yeah, he plays a really significant pivotal uh, moment within this movie and, and that's not understating that at all. You know, and and his performance is really balanced and really he's just a very wise old man and 
what is great about his character is that immediately you you feel like you know him. They give this background about all these fantastic crime novels he's written. He lives in this very elaborate and over-the-top house. Um, his family are all completely loopy. Each of them has their own quirks and, and, and strangenesses. And, and then Daniel Craig turns up as um, this really over-the-top, smart but also f- slightly foolish... Um, and very comedic, um, like Sherlock Holmes' character. He doesn't have a pipe, but he has a cigar, and he has a and and he's when he first comes into the film, he's just in the corner, and he doesn't say anything, but he just taps the key of a piano. I think he's actually tapping every time he thinks someone's lying. Yeah. Um, and I I really enjoyed this film. Um, I actually saw it last night, and I wasn't expecting much, but I was blown away. And it gets fantastic scores on Rotten Tomatoes. It gets 97% from the critics. Now, let me tell you, that is a really, really high score. And it gets a 93% uh, audience score. And I agree with those scores. You know, again, what I liked about this was the pace of the film. Mm. I was immediately engaged. I wanted to know who did it. I wanted to know how it happened. I loved how, uh, unlike The Good Liar, it really made me believe in this story. I was engaged in this story and the good liar had two massive twists. Whereas this had twist by twist, little bits of plot unfolding. Yeah. And then it did have the big reveal at the end and it had a smaller reveal, but I was, I was on the edge of my seat. I really enjoyed this film. I thought Daniel Craig, his accent looked ridiculous in the trailers and I thought he was completely miscast. I couldn't have been more wrong. I thought Daniel Craig, really nailed this performance yeah i i agree um it's got uh, other notable people that are in this film michael shannon uh lakeith stanford um as uh, lieutenant elliot um and it you know it marks the second time that michael shannon has played uh jaden martell's father in a, in a movie and i just wanted to just give a special mention to Midnight Special, which was out in 2016. If you can catch that on streaming services or on DVD or Blu-ray, it is such a brilliant, low-budget, independent kind of movie that has a much bigger scale of a performance in there. And it's a sci-fi. It's 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 one of my favourites from 2016, without a doubt. And if you want to see these two actors in in another film, uh, that is what the one to watch. Um, but also uh, Knives out as well i think i think this is just an absolutely breath of fresh air in the Mm. cinema at the minute in terms of its its genre defining um modern 21st century updatingness of those as i said sherlock holmes and agatha christie stories really and it's and it's sharp isn't it and it's it It is it it doesn't miss so when the comedy comes it hits when the emotional scenes come they hit when the drama comes it hits when the suspense comes it hits you know never misses a beat if this is on a shooting range this is going ping 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 bullseye 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 get me another (laughs) thing to shoot at because i'm hitting i'm i'm on fire this film was on fire i really really enjoyed it do we need to expand any further I'm, i'm 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 not sure it's one of those films and it's reflected in the scores that is just very very, very good. And we can't reveal too much anyway. No, because, we don't want to reveal no, too much. No, because we want you to go and watch it almost blind as well. Um, we enjoyed it thoroughly. So yeah. we're going to give you the answers to our normal questions. David, uh, Knives Out, is it worth it? Absolutely, 100%. It's smart, it's witty, it's stylish, it's original. Um, and it's just an exhilarating movie experience and one that I thoroughly recommend seeing in the cinema. I really, really do recommend seeing this film. 
I completely agree with you. Every word you just said there is some summed it up for me. So I'm just going to say, yes, this film is worth seeing on the big screen. Go and see Knives Out. It's sensational. Yeah. of, of Yeah. Just go and see it. And that was our review of Knives Out. <laughs> so that was our review of Knives Out. But what does the gaming bear have to say? One of our listeners and Patreon supporters. Well, he says, Knives Out was a film I was very interested in seeing thanks to its diverse and impressive cast being thrown into a murder mystery scenario. It could have been an overindulgent affair lacking substance, but that couldn't be more far from the truth. The varied and talented ensemble of actors all have a part to play, some more than others. While a few could have done with more screen time and a bit more development, each one offers enough intrigue and personality to give the story and world depth. The plot develops into an enjoyable pace, only occasionally missing the mark halfway through the film, but the finale conjures up plenty of pleasing twists and scenes to provide a more than satisfying conclusion. That's a great email. That's a great email. (laughs) I think the bear should take over. As always, we really appreciate your emails, and if you would like to be on the show, please do drop us an email. We might as well say, Craig, how can they email us? Well, you can email us on our email address. Yeah, that's enough, a good idea. Uh, at my mail is worth it at is it worth it podcast.com. That email address again is my mail is worth it at is it worth it podcast.com. So that was our review and the Gaming Bears review of Knives Out. interrupt this broadcast or visit worth it the film review podcast for an important announcement if you're enjoying the podcast we would like to remind you that you can now become a patreon supporter for as little as three dollars a month this helps the podcast to continue to grow as well as offering the potential for bonus content and is it worth it merchandise your support helps the podcast stay alive so why not become a patreon supporter today head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash is it worth it podcast So it is now time for our next review on this marathon episode and we are going to be reviewing Sorry We Missed You which is directed by Ken Loach. Craig, what is this film about? Well, Ricky and his family have been fighting an uphill struggle against debt since the 2008 financial crash. Now, an opportunity to wrestle back some independence appears with a shiny new van and the chance to run a franchise as a self-employed delivery driver. It's hard work and his wife's job as a carer is no easier. The family unit is strong, but when both are pulled in different directions, everything comes to breaking point. I think it's time to have a little listen to a clip. I agree. Yes, good. I should work with Bill Gates. Uh, what's the dance with the new scanners? Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> aye, aye, not long, aye. Don't be too real. Right, that's me done now. Thank you very much. I shall see you next week. Bye bye. There you go. Everything okay, Ricky? Yeah, it's great. Any Good. problems? No, nothing. It's fine. Have you got two minutes to just need a quick word, mate? Uh, I'm in a bit of a rush, to be honest with you. Why don't we all? If you can just wait over there for a minute, I'll just see these two lads and I'll be with you, all right? Uh, Cheers, uh, thanks. Everything all right? Any problems? No, no. No. Problems with this number five again, battery. 
couldn't do my last scan. You got your paper record? Crying. It's all right, Ricky. It's nothing to worry about. Hitting your figures and getting good feedback. Everything's going all right. Just, did you have somebody in the van with you on Saturday gone? Oh yeah, it's, uh, it's my daughter Eliza Jane, right? Sorry, mate. We can't have that. Well, it's it's my van. My insurance, it's my daughter. I thought it was my business. Yeah, it is. But it's our franchise, right? Just had a complaint from one of the clients. Nobody fucks with them ever, mate, all right? It's just one of the first commandments, all right? Cheers. So as David mentioned at the beginning there, this is directed by Ken Loach, who brought us I, Daniel Blake, uh, which was his last film from before this, uh, which was a very raw and real movie, uh, which runs parallel with this one and continues on with this film. Now, this story, uh, it takes partial inspiration from uh, the experiences of Don Lane. Now, he was a courier driver for DPD, and he actually died in January 2018 after working through illness uh, in the Christmas delivery rush. Um, he'd actually had to skip several hospital appointments to treat his type 1 diabetes uh, because he had been charged £150 by DPD when he missed deliveries to attend an appointment, and he, and he feared further charges. Now, this is it, it very much so takes inspiration from that because as that clip as david will explain now really highlights a key part of what this sort of industry is all about yeah so the i mean it's i don't like to call it a scam but these people are basically self-employed so they have to pay for their own van they have to pay for their own uh, scanning machine obviously they have to put their own petrol in and then they do get paid obviously for the deliveries that they make but they don't get sick pay um, which basically means if you have a day off not only do you not get sick pay i believe he was getting charged for parcels that were not being delivered so it's that kind of freelance zero hour contract worker you might say that if you can do it and do it well, potentially you can earn money. But what we see in this story uh, is just the impossibility of the task ahead of them. Hundreds and thousands of these packages that have to go out daily. And what we heard in that clip was our our, our protagonist there um, basically having someone else in his van. And that was his daughter. And what he was doing is he was using his daughter to help him deliver these packages. And you heard the response of the guy running the company. I is your own business in that, but you know the the um, the customers in charge, and we've had a complaint. And there's loads of things like that throughout the film. Where yes, you're self-employed, but actually you're really under the thumb of the big corporation that's above you. Absolutely, and, and another key point to take from that fact is that um, the reason he had his daughter in, in in the car with him, as well as to help make it the deliveries, is that it's the only time that they can spend time together. Yeah. So as a family unit, they are being driven apart because mm. there is no time for them to see each other, and the only time they can spend with each other is in these precious moments here yeah. and and you do in the movie see a very uh, strong bonding session between the two and it is it's really heartfelt um, but it comes crashing down all over the place mm. because of the controlling nature of the, of this type of job yeah and as you say, freelance and self-employed work, if he wanted to have a day off, he had would have to find somebody mm. to cover him, yeah. which is next to impossible because if if somebody else was working for that franchise had a day off, they then get charged because 
there's no one to cover them for their round. So it's, yeah. it's, it's an impossible circle. And what you see, obviously, in this film is you've got Ricky Turner, who's played by Chris Hitchin, and then his wife, Abby Turner, played by Debbie Honeywood. And what Abby has to do is she actually, she's a carer, and she actually has to sell her car to gather the funds so that um, Ricky can actually buy his van. Because obviously you can, you don't have to have your own van. You can rent a van off the company. But I think the rental was something like £150 a day. It was pointless. Basically, yeah. the interest that you'll be paying on the van that you you buy would would be a lot less uh, per day to in, instead of hiring a van and it worked out a lot cheaper but you have to then have a, yeah. a large deposit to put that down and the only way he can do that is of course by selling his his wife's vehicle but then that puts undue stress on her on who wife. has already a difficult job by going to people's houses and and, and caring for them mm. these people are disabled in 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 some respects or have different issues as well and and they need these the attention so it's weighing up the options isn't it it's it's her family and the prosperity of their family versus the prosperity of of the people that are suffering and this is happening for real all over the country and this yeah. is what Ken Loach does so well it's highlighting key key things that the country is struggling with and really driving home that message and and this film really drove that home yeah and also what you see is you see that the, the damage that the the mother and the father both working constantly out of the house and then they've got two children uh seb and lisa lisa played by katie proctor and seb played by reese stone brilliant performances by these two um child actors by the way really um compelling and just deep and quite moving performances and you see that the effect of not having a father figure around has and not having the mother around has and you can see this the children longing for that relationship but also realising that all the things they want to do like there's this wonderful scene where they get a takeaway they get an Indian takeaway and everyone knows that when a family gets together and has a takeaway it's lovely but as I've become an adult and as I've realised the value of stuff, you know, a takeaway isn't cheap. A takeaway, an Indian takeaway for a family of four is probably 40, 40 odd quid, mm. you know, and you've got to have that money to to put it out. Really, what I would say about this film is it's just a very raw and honest and powerful film. Um, it's got superb acting and stunning realism. It's like a detailed portrayal of the daily grind of life. It's people working in the hardest of conditions, working long hours for 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 very little pay it's it's really brutal and it really pulled on my heartstrings and it's unashamed as well mm. so it has a very strong political message and it does it in a in your face way but also in a nice way so it is it is preaching a little bit but you you my ears were open I wanted to hear what the director was saying here it gets a very solid 85% score on rotten tomatoes and I went into this film completely blind uh, I hadn't seen a trailer. I didn't really know what it was about other than it was about a delivery driver. And I thought it was superb. I really, really enjoyed this film. It, it, it drives home an, an important message um, and a, a, a strong political message, as you just said. Um, probably stronger than you'd probably thought, maybe, mm. or, oh, or definitely. you've conceived there. But I think it... it it's um, Ken Loach is known for being a, a strong Labour supporter, mm. and I think this was a real jab at the Conservatives at the minute. And and obviously after recent news of the election and stuff, this is going to be a key thing for Ken Loach. I think he's going to be making more films like this would, going would, forward, and I'd love to see them. Uh, yeah, same. And and you know the country at the as it stands at the minute is in a dire state 
to pull it lightly, I think. And I think this film highlights um, the the north-south divide um, and how hard it is for work up up, up in the northern uh, uh, part of the country. And, you know, it, it's inspiring and it's also harrowing. Harrowing, it? it really is. Um, it goes to show how hard families have to work now to just maintain to ha- a roof over their heads. Mm. And the ending, uh, we're not going to spoil it, but it is... It's an ending that really dr- drives home that message yeah, as well. Yeah, it really stays with you. Um, I just a, a mention for Chris uh, Hitchin. I thought he was uh, brilliant. He actually took inspiration for his part from his part-time work as a plumber in the years between acting jobs. And I thought Chris Hitchin, Debbie Honeywood, Reese Stone and Katie Proctor, that family, um, all gave wonderful performances. It almost felt like a, a documentary. It felt like you were watching a real family and you felt like you were part of that family. And when yeah. it was being torn apart, you really, really felt the impact of that. And I, I just thought this was a really different kind of film and a really relevant film, like you said, for the current economic, political and social climate in the United Kingdom and in America as well. I know there's similar problems going on in America as well with you know the, 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 the country being torn in two almost between two political parties and pro-Trump and anti-Trump. And there's, a, there's that real feel of... Um, people being disengaged with politics and mm. struggling to make ends meet. I mean, it's it's a it's a film that delves into things at a local level, a country level, and also a world level, really. So Ken Loach has really hit the nail on the head here and really giving us a, a film for, for this era, really. I think that's all we really need to yeah, say, isn't I it? I was going to say, yeah. Um, Craig, sorry we missed you. Is it worth it? Yes, 100% worth seeing in the cinema. If you can, it may have gone out of cinemas by now. Um, once it makes its way onto streaming services mm. or available for DVD, we will let you know and uh, and and I will plead for you to go and watch this film because it is an important movie to watch uh, without a single shadow of a doubt. David, what did you think? Yes, absolutely 100% worth it. It's a really powerful brutal and heartfelt film with superb acting and stunning realism absolutely 100% worth it sorry we missed you definitely worth putting on your list of films to see It's now time for our penultimate review on week 40, and it's uh, last Christmas. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Tumbleweed. Yep. Many, many, many tumbleweeds. Uh, Kate is a young woman subscribed to bad decisions. Working as an elf in a year-round Christmas store is not good for the wannabe singer. However, she meets Tom there. Her life takes a new turn. For Kate, it seems too good to be true. As London transforms into the most wonderful time of the year, nothing should work for these two. But sometimes, you got to let the snow fall where it may. you got to listen to your heart and you got to have faith, faith, faith. Oh. That, that, I mean, that was dire, Craig. Congratulations. Thank you. Clip? I, I, after that, we, we need to listen to a clip. I really enjoyed our walk today. Ditto. Would you like to repeat the experience? Would you like to give me your number? I don't have a phone. <laughs> My God, I was just beginning to think you're not as weird as you look. Before you throw me in the bin with the rest of your battered conquests, it's not completely true. I do have a phone. It's just locked in a cupboard. Why? 
Oh, I got so tired of staring at my hand all day. I mean, you should try it. It's like saying you should try death. I think somebody really wants to get hold of yeah, you. Yeah, no, I know. Someone really isn't going to get the chance. <clears throat> no. <laughs> Ditch that. All of your stresses will just melt away. Oh, but I just like stress. Oi, you getting on? Yeah. Your chariot awaits. Indeed. I'll see you at the store. Okay. And don't forget, look up. Oh, for sake, shut up, will you? So let's start with the good points. Mm, uh, let's do with, that with this film first of all. So it stars Amelia Clark. Uh, yep, yep. yep. Uh, Emma Thompson stars in the film as well, as well yep. as writing the film. That's a good point, she's, isn't it? She's pretty good in the film. <laughs> oh, and George Michael. Oh, and Wham, uh, and Wham. So yeah, Wham's, I mean, the music that's obviously great, um, obviously fantastic. And then I think that's where everything else. <sighs> Ends really. So it's directed by Paul Feig. Uh, His last film that we reviewed was A Simple Favour, which was good um, to an extent. Uh, We did sort of uh, critically pan it a little bit, Mm. but it it had. I think this is this is going to be a very similar yep. review in, in the sense that it had really good parts to the film. It had some great acting. It had some nice twists in that film. and it, it just, it, but as a cohesive piece, it wasn't very good. Uh, we will follow suit there with with Ghostbusters as well, the remake. There, it was okay. It wasn't great. Uh, it had some good points, and it had some good cast, and it had some good acting, some good humour in there. But as a cohesive piece, again, it wasn't very, very good. Bridesmaids, however, uh, probably uh, Paul's best known and uh, work by a long mile. Um, that was pretty good. That was that was pretty good going. Um, and then we come to to last Christmas, mm. and um, it has a brilliant central performance from from Amelia Clark. And Emma Thompson is just classically brilliant in this film. Yeah, she's great. Where it falls short is in its cohesiveness as an all rounded piece. Mm. Now the jokes come thick and fast in this film, and and they are humorous, and it is very funny to an extent. It falls short with Henry Golding's acting. Yep. I don't rate him. Neither do I, actually. And this is this is not a personal attack on Henry Golding. I've just never warmed to him like I warmed to, say, Hugh Grant in a rom-com. Like, Hugh Grant, I just find him very lovable and you want to give him... And he's a, he's a bumbling English buffoon. And there's <laughs> something, you know, you just want to, you know, sit him down and, and look after him. He's, he's a very lovable character. Whereas Henry Golding, I... I'm not saying he's a bad actor because clearly he's not and he's making a lot of money and he's doing very well in Hollywood um, and he's been in other big um, features, most notably probably recently Crazy Rich Asians. Which was a, a phenomenal film, but again, yeah. I didn't rate him in that either. No, I I, I just find him lacklustre in, 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 in some of his performances. And what did I think of this film? Look, I don't want to come across as a moaning Christmas Scrooge, but I'm afraid I'm going to have to. As Craig said, there were parts of this film that were genuinely funny and did make me laugh, but that doesn't make for a good film. You can have two or three hilarious moments in a film. It's the kind of film you might watch snippets of it and show snippets to your mates on YouTube and go, look at this clip, this is funny. But as an overall cohesive piece, it doesn't really work. There is some good good humour, but the flow is very, very odd and clunky. I've used this analogy before. It feels like a car stalling and not really knowing what gear it's in. The pace is all a little bit off. Um, It's got a very poorly conceived story. 
And that's where Amelia Clark does brilliantly with what she's been given. To some extent, although I'm not a huge fan of him, Henry Golding does the best with what he's been given. Emma Thompson brings a lot of humour and, and a really good performance. Um, obviously, you've got a lot of George Michael and Wham in there. For me, that was a bit too much. It was just a bit too like. And here's a and here's a montage clip with someone walking home and over the top. We're going to have more George Michael just mm. for the sake of it. And it was a little bit too in your face. I mean, I, I don't, look. I watched this on my own and I watched it a couple of weeks ago now and maybe I wasn't in the Christmas spirit then. I'm, an, I'm a bit more Christmassy now, so I'm going to give it a slightly better review than I would have done. But I saw an advert that said this was the best Christmas film in the last decade. Really? Yeah. On repeat several times. So they've spent a lot of money on advertising this film. And I can tell you for a fact, I, I mean, I'm not going to give it the trumpet. The trumpet, when I came out of the cinema, I was all for the trumpet. But I've reconsidered. But I can tell you this is not the best film of the last decade. This is probably not even going to be the best Christmas film of this year. And I can't really name any other Christmas films <laughs> that have come out this year. It's... It's got its positive points, but overall, it's just very clunky and odd. And I'm sorry, but the plot is ludicrous. The plot in this film is utterly, utterly preposterous and ridiculous. Didn't believe it. Maybe come out questioning what the hell I'd just seen. Uh, and unfortunately, um, I feel a little bit like um, Alan Rickman in Die Hard. Her, her, her. <laughs> Not very Christmassy at all. So... Paul Feig was originally not interested in doing another holiday comedy film because um, his previous holiday film, um, Unaccompanied Minors, which was out in 2006, uh, was a critical and commercial failure. Um, but after reading the script that Emma Thompson personally sent him, he he was convinced. Um, and I think he, he he's done well box office wise mm. and I think audiences have enjoyed the movie however critically it's been panned hasn't it David? Yeah it has been I mean if you look at the Rotten Tomatoes scores it gets a 47% score from the critics and an 81% score from the audience so the audience seem to quite like this which does surprise me critically 47 is it's not fresh it's not certified fresh it's certified rotten it's it's just below that 50% mark. I think they've got away with it here. I think they've just managed to get a reception that's okay enough. 47% and 81%. I would have this more as a uh, a 30% critic film and 60% audience. That's that's how, how, how I would rate it. I was thinking that I was going to come out of this film and go, critically, it's not very good, it's clunky, the script's not great, the plot's not brilliant, but overall I felt really Christmassy and enjoyed it. Because there are some films that you can critically pass Mm. But as a cinema goer, as an audience member, you really, really enjoy. Um, this wasn't one of them. I didn't like it on either level, from a critical perspective or from a cinema going point of view. You know, I I was entertained um, whilst watching the film because of the jokes and Amelia Clark. You know that that was an enjoyable watch for me. But you know, as I'm watching it, there were things about politics in there and Brexit and all those sort of things. But they never really drove that home. Mm hard enough to make it a a, a a film that was going to pull some heartstrings at that side of things. Um, where they do try and pull the heartstrings is what is wrong with Amelia Clarke's character in terms of her illness and um, and, and Henry, Henry Golding's character as well and how they sort of have have come together and yeah. and I'm not going to give tr anything away but I think the majority of you listening to this may have already seen this film so you know what happens 
Um, and I felt that that was actually quite an obvious thing to happen. Um, not everybody got it. Not everybody thought that was going to happen. But it is, it is obvious if you think about it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that might made this film quite difficult to work on would have been the fact that they filmed this on location in London. That's yeah. fine. That's cool. But in, in order to avoid crowds in London, they had to they had to film many of the scenes at 2 a.m. Mm. Well, that must have been really difficult for them to do. Yeah. And I mean, I imagine this would have been filmed, believe it or not, no pun intended, last Christmas. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really sorry. But it's um, true, probably. But yeah. it is true because obviously London looks very Christmassy and they wouldn't have decorated London at 2 a.m. and taken the de- decorations down every night. This would have been filmed last Christmas. And it... it it just didn't feel very Christmassy. It felt like London, and it felt well, like that's London at it Christmas. Was filmed in bloody London, I of course, have, of course, <laughs> of course. Felt, no, but here we Garden. are on location in London. It looks a bit like Vietnam to no, me. But uh, do you know what I mean? When you don't get the grand scale of London in some films, yes. do you? Well, this yeah. gave you that bit more. You know, the, the scale of London into some respects, and it gave you Covent Garden, which, uh, which at is very beautiful, best, isn't it? Exactly. In Christmas. We we were there recently. In yeah, Covent exactly. Garden, and, Christmas, it is, and it is lovely. It is wonderful. Um, but still, yet you were left feeling slightly. I don't know. You were. Fe- I I came out feeling a little bit angry? disappointed. Dis- Not angry. Annoyed. Disappointed. Disappointed for sure. Yeah. Defin- for- definitely disappointed. I mean, I don't like panning any film, particularly a Christmas film. Um, you want to be Christmassy, and I'd love to have come on here and said this is a great Christmas film. Take your friends and family. But unfortunately, I just don't think it is. Okay, then, David. So, last Christmas, is it worth it? Unfortunately not. I I don't think it's worth it at all. Um not only do I not think it's worth seeing in the cinema, um I don't think it's 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 worth streaming either. At the moment on either Amazon Prime or Netflix is The Holiday, which I think is a fantastic Christmas film. Um check that out instead. Yeah. And you know what, and if you are going to go to the cinema with your family, I think Knives Out is a good one. It's a 12A. You can take yeah. your family to go and see that and I think it's it's highly entertaining. Um, to, to, to watch um, going back a little bit to Hugh Grant and Henry Golden they're actually going to be seen in Guy Ritchie's yeah, next the film gentleman. The Gentleman and they're going to be playing some pretty evil people I think some gangsters yeah. so this could be a real turning point I mean Hugh Grant has actually done some really he's playing horrible a co- bad men a cockney and he looks very old and weathered so this isn't the slick no. gentlemanly Hugh Grant this is quite a horrible well, Hugh Grant has taken on uh, some very diverse roles of late, um, from Cloud Atlas to, to mm. Paddington as well, playing bad characters, yeah. and he's doing phenomenally well playing those 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 type of characters. He's getting so, older, and his style of acting and his nature of the, what he's being cast in has had to change. Well, it has, but he's taken on more serious roles now, and, and I'm actually really enjoying him at this stage of his career, actually. Yeah. Um, it'll be good to see what Henry Golding comes out like in this film. If he is good in this film, it might see... All it, is forgiven. All might be forgiven. But if not, um, well, good luck, Henry Golding. Did you answer the question? I haven't yet. Uh, it's not worth it. Uh, don't see it in the cinema. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, people will go and see this in the cinema. It's very obvious by the box office results mm. of late. Um, but if you wanted to see something better that was much better conceived, well-written, well-directed, and has a fantastic cast, I think Knives Out is that one. Or if you have some younger children that you want to take to cinema, perhaps even Frozen too. But we'll, we'll let you know in the next review, which is coming up next.
So, welcome back. If you're still with us on this marathon episode, it's now time for our last review on week 40, which is Frozen 2. Now, at the start of the show, I did say that Craig would be going hand solo, but what we decided to do was um, basically stop recording, and I was going to go and watch Frozen and Frozen 2. So that's exactly what I did. I went down to my local supermarket, purchased Frozen on DVD, old school. Very old uh, school. Watched it on DVD and then immediately afterwards rushed up to my local Cineworld at Hemel Hempstead to watch Frozen 2. So I'm very happy to say that you're going to get both of us on this final review. So Craig, now that we're both doing it, what is Frozen 2 about? Well, Frozen 2 sees Anna, Elsa, Kristoff, Olaf and Sven leave Arendelle to travel to an ancient autumn-bound forest of an enchanted land. They set out to find the origin of Elsa's powers in order to save their own kingdom. But what they find is the truth within themselves and unlock new beginnings. Let's take a listen to a clip. Kristoff, can I borrow your wagon? And Sven? Mm-hmm. I'm not very comfortable with the idea of that. You are not going alone. Anna? No, I have my powers to protect me. You don't. Excuse me, I climbed the North Mountain, survived a frozen heart, and saved you from my ex-boyfriend, and I did it all without powers. So, you know, I'm coming. Me too. I'll drive. I'll bring the snacks! I will look after your people. Please make sure they stay out of the kingdom until we return. Of course. Let's let them know. Anna... I am worried for her. So we the original Frozen was a massive commercial hit this world. in now 2013. They are Correct. Wonderful. Glad I got that one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I actually really loved that film when that came out. It was brilliant. It was something we hadn't seen before. Uh, two female animated characters um, showing that they are capable of doing the things that they... that, that they should be able to be represented as being able to do. Um, and uh, Anna had these amazing superpowers and it was a really great film for, for, for young uh, children to go and see. Um, the music in that film was sensational and obviously yep. they had some big hits coming out of that movie. Now, moving forwards to Frozen 2, however, we have the same directors coming back and we have the same cast Christian Bell uh, playing Anna, Idana Menzel playing um, Elsa and Josh Gad playing the snowman that we all love, Olaf. Um, we All the original cast are basically back for, for this movie. Um, you'd obviously never seen the first film and you, as you said in the introduction you saw the first one back to back with the second one straight away in the cinema. Now you saw this in two different sort of viewing scenarios mm. didn't you? Obviously DVD on your own and then going to a a packed cinema. Do you feel that that may have had an impact in your viewing experience? Yeah, so, I mean, I'll start with the original Frozen. Like Craig said, not only was it a commercial success, it was also a critical success. The critics gave it a 90% rating, and it got an 85% rating from the audience. I watched this at home in my flat on my own. I I did have it on surround sound, and I have got a 40-inch telly. So (laughs) it it was immersive enough. Unfortunately... The one word I would use to describe the original Frozen is overrated. Now, I'm not saying that it's a bad film because it's not. It's a it's a good film with a very unique story, and it's ma- the real strong point of the first film is undoubtedly the soundtrack. The soundtrack is unbelievably solid, and obviously, Let It Go went on to be a global phenomenon of a song. Mm. But I'd heard so much about this film. I'd heard that it was a masterpiece, that it was one of Disney's best in the last ten years, that it was in the top you know, 20 Disney films of all time. And I was going into it expecting great, great things. Now, I thought it was a brilliant film. I I think 
uh, it was very unique and the, the music was great, but I do think it was slightly overrated. So I didn't come away from that having my mind blown. Having said that, I did watch it on my own. Going into Frozen 2, I therefore had not low expectations, but I was expecting it to be of the same quality as the first. But I saw it in a, a quite a small cinema screening, but it was absolutely packed. It was full of adults and it was full of children. And I've got to say, and I'll say straight off the top, I really enjoyed Frozen 2, um, probably more so than the first one. Mm. Now, maybe that was because I was in an audience um, that was full of children. So when the children's humour came in, the children laughed, which always makes you feel warm inside. And then when that adult humour came, which there was lots of adult humour in this. More th- so than the first one. Yeah, this film was much more mature, more ambitious and more relatable yes. than the first one. I also thought it had a better storyline and a better plot. Um, music maybe not so good. Um but it has it's very thought provoking in the start very relatable it's got a real tension about it and you're you know you're engaged in the plot and it's a really enjoyable film in terms of the uh, critical reception it gets here it gets 77% the first one got 90 it gets a 77% score this time but it's interesting to see the audience score on the second film for the second film frozen 2 it gets a 92% audience score which is 7% higher than the 85% of the original frozen and i agree with that i I loved this film. I thought I thought the first one was good. Don't get me wrong. I want to make it clear that Frozen 1 is a good film. It is, yes. But I just think it's a little <laughs> bit overrated. Yeah, no, you know what? I, I, I tend to agree with you on that, but I have fond memories of watching the first yeah. one. So those fond memories stay with me. So I may be thinking it's slightly better than overrated. Yeah. But you're right in some sense. The quality of Frozen 2 is vastly better, I think, than the first one. However, the music does fall short. Yeah. They use a lot of similar themes and, and motifs from the first movie in the songs for the second one. Now, whether or not that's their downfall or not, it, it remains to be said. But I feel like they could have had a, f- a lot more original songs in the second film to continue that quality from the first one. There is some standout moments in in, in terms of music in the second film. Kristoff, uh, when he has his solo piece, yeah. uh, the music video style esque version of that is just sensational, very and 80s. humorous, and brilliant. Yes, eighties, very, very Rick Astley, very it, much so. And I know you've spoken to some people who've criticised that and said they didn't really enjoy that. It's supposed to be so bad that it's good yes exactly it's supposed to be slightly awkward and off key and very 80s and you know one man singing his solo and but it works yeah. I, th- I thought it was really really funny i've seen frozen 2 three times wow three times not because i wanted to but because i kind of had to because i had to take various people to go and see it and uh the first time i was i just wanted i needed to catch up on the film so that was the first time i went to see it then a friend wanted to go and see it then i had to take somebody else to go and see it because they wanted to go and see it as well and and by the third time i wasn't bored um with any of it like i really did enjoy it however it it, it, it did great on me a little bit. Um, yeah. And mostly because some of the songs weren't as good as the first film. Um, the Christoph song on his own, I, that always made me chuckle. Um, but but yeah, the rest of them, they're just not up to scratch. Into the Unknown was, that was, I would say that, that was, was great, the, the main, again, it's not as good as Let It Go. No, but it did take a lot of motifs from some original Frozen songs. Yeah. And it, it too much so. It, it felt like they were about to do another Frozen one song, but amalgamated it with some new lyrics, basically, and it was felt a bit of like a bit of a cop out. Would you agree then? This is this is where I'm coming at this film. Would you agree that Frozen has better, far superior music? Yes, but a weaker storyline. Yes, and Frozen two has a far superior 
storyline and weaker music. Yes, one hundred percent. That's agree that's exactly with that. what I'm because everything, all the pages of the all the pages of the books that were opened and all the questions that were asked and left unanswered in in Frozen, they answered them in Frozen two and some and some more. And I just thought that the plot was much more engaging. And I've just got to give a shout out to that wonderful little snowman, Olaf. He was he was good in the first film, but I didn't think he was Oscar worthy. Blimey, if an animated character, if there was an animated Oscar awards, he would be up for best <laughs> best supporting actor. He was brilliant. He was he was he was brilliant for the children. So there was lots of childhood humor for him, but there was also a lot of adult humor. As he's grown older, he starts to become quite philosophical in the early stages of this film and questions who is he what's his place in this universe why are things changing what does friendship mean what is life about why am I a snowman why haven't I melted you know the kind of yeah, brilliant. Well, I can answer that question why he hasn't melted though so yeah. in the first film I, I, he, know, I know the he answer he got the permafrost didn't he yeah, above he his head but what I didn't understand was that why that cloud disappeared over his head in the second one some sort of magic invisible permafrost now they did but, touch upon it didn't they very briefly I didn't quite understand I, what I they think said. there's some gaps in the story because there are some short animated versions that came out a couple of years ago yeah. between that time which will answer a few more questions in regards to that and I think Olaf actually had his own short animation thing as well Doesn't so it, it will it will answer those questions but for us we are obviously just seeing the movies and we hadn't seen anything else so it was not actually going to be telling us anything else other than that to be honest with you so yeah I mean, before we get on to is it worth it, do you think there's a third one in the pipeline? Um, undoubtedly, there will be another one at some point in the future. I think it's undoubtable. I mean, it makes so much money that Disney cannot turn down the yeah. opportunity. I mean, I don't think it's up there. I mean, people were telling me that Frozen was as good as Toy Story and it was the Toy Story for the modern generation. Look... It- I, I know um, friends of mine who've got children that are obsessed with Frozen and they've taken them to see Frozen 2 in the cinema and they've loved it. Um, but yeah, overall, the first one was very, very solid, but I just thought the second one was better. Yeah, I might as well ask you the question then, David. Yeah. Frozen 2, is it worth it? Absolutely. Look, if you enjoyed the first Frozen, I really recommend seeing Frozen 2. Um, like I said, it's more mature, more ambitious, more relatable, got a better story, music not as good, um, but overall, just a really funny, brilliant film for... for all ages. There's a lot more humour in this for the adults than the first one. So it's great for children, brilliant for adults. 100%. Take your chi- your whole family to see. I think I say take your chickens. Well, take, if you've got chickens, take them. They'll enjoy it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Frozen 2, go and take the whole family. It's much better than last Christmas. It's the best Christmas film of, of this year. You did just throw quotation marks up yeah. in the air because people can't see you, but we'll just say, yeah. Better than last Christmas, yeah. for sure. Take them for that one. Um, I'll answer it as yes, it's worth going to see in the cinema uh, for all the points that David just summarised. And that was our final film for week 40. Woo! very much for listening to week 40 of is it worth it the film review podcast craig and i would like to thank our latest patreon supporter the gaming bear a big bear hug goes out to you 
and Mrs. Bear. And thanks for your recent email. We really, really do appreciate it. And fantastic insight on those two films. Indeed. And if you enjoy listening to the show and you'd like to help support us further, you can become a Patreon supporter for as little as $3 a month. This means you can get a shout out on the podcast And in the future, sometime next year, we'll be putting the money into good use to provide other tiers with things like special content, badges, mugs with our faces on, etc. It's all happening It's going to happen. There's going to be amazing things happening next year, and we're really, really excited. Uh, And uh, just like the Gaming Bear, if you'd like to write in with your thoughts, you can do so by sending us an email. Now, the email address to contact us on is mymailisworthit at isitworthitpodcast.com. That's mymailisworthit at isitworthitpodcast.com. Or find us on all the social medias. Just head on over to the website, which is isitworthitpodcast.com, to find our social media accounts and all the places that you can listen, such as Apple Podcasts. Where else, David? (laughs) <laughs> Your face is just gone blank. Spotify, Google Play, Google Podcasts, all of the, all, all yeah, of lo- them. There's loads of them. There's tons of them. <laughs> um, but the best way of even more supporting us, if you don't want to pay via Patreon, is uh, by leaving us a review on mm. Apple Podcasts, five stars preferable, please, um, and a little review as well because that helps to boost us up in the charts. And we have been doing really well in the charts recently. Uh, we got to number thirteen in the film review charts at one point. Uh, it's it's all going on and it's yeah. exciting stuff. It really is. And we really do appreciate those of you who have gone out of your way to give us a five-star review and leave comments. Like Craig said, it's boosted us up in the charts. The podcast is going places. And we really, really want to hear from you. So if you want to be on the show, get in, ton- get in touch. <laughs> so yes, again, I'll reiterate David's point. Thanks for listening to Week 40 and we'll see you on Week 41. Good boo. Goodbye. Tidy bye. Very good to see you and speak to you as always.